everyone. Welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. You're on with your host, Crystal Fleming, and I've got one of the toughest, awesomest English crime authors going, coming on today, and I am sure he's going to have a lot of you guys uh, rush into the stores once you hear all about his stuff. At least he did with me. So, before that, we've got our usual advert for Marianne Curley's The Shadow Time Guardian Book 4. So you guys know the drill. The war is over, the battle is over, the war is won, and the prophecy complete. But life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends in the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athea's death, Giselle swears revenge and fullify the immortal's plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart on the strings of a goddess, short on praise but high on expectation, continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? So with that being said, I have the deep honour and privilege to welcome this amazing English crime novelist who to whom I very much admire from what I've been able to research and read. So please welcome Mike Carvin. Please tell me I said that right because uh, my you accent sometimes no, It's, it's, it's uh, Craven. Craven, thank you. <laughs> I do this a lot. See, I, I think I get it right and then I come on and I totally butcher it. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's the joy of, of doing a podcast is you don't always get it right. So um seems to happen more with me. Actually, I have better luck with English names than I do with American. American I tend to really be bad at. Mm-hmm. So come on, tell us what is exciting you at the moment. What are you excited about releasing or have released or are writing right now? Um, I, I'm in a, a, a sort of weird period. I have just released a book um, a week and a bit ago. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was quite a cool um, book because it it's, um, it was in my Poe and Tilly series, which it, which is what I'm um, known for. Uh, but it was yeah. a novella. It was a twenty thousand word novella, and it was commissioned as part of an adult literacy program uh, in the UK called Quick Reads which is designed um to get people get adults back in back into reading um particularly um aimed at people who uh who who don't have english as a first language so they um maybe aren't as familiar with um uh english books as, as as perhaps they would like to be and for adults with low levels, of, low levels of literacy, and as I used to be a probation officer, that is quite that's something quite close to my heart, anyway. Um, and it was it was quite a challenging process. There was um, a lot of editorial um, restrictions, which I wasn't used to. So the things like there was no contractions, so it was uh, do yeah. not instead of don't, and um, which to me felt quite unnatural. But um, if English it does, um, yeah, is it isn't your first language? You, you, some of it would be confusing. There was restrictions yep. on how many words of three syllables 
and above you could use and, and the plot had to be simple and you had to keep on repeating names of characters a lot more than I, I would have done. Um, but it was a lot yep. of fun and it was out with some huge authors, um, Graham Norton and Kate Moss and Paula Hawkins and some, some absolutely fantastic um, authors. So that was out, uh, like I say, uh, a week last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And the the but the, the the big event for me of the year is uh, is the new Poe novel. It's Poe Five. It's out on the second of June, and it's the botanist. And um, the early reviews have been very very uh, positive. So I'm looking forward to getting that out into the wild. Well, I look forward to uh, adding it to my spotlight because I do a spotlight once a month where I take a group of books that I've read and then I spotlight it, and it's on my list to be in the spotlight for this year. And I'm actually putting you in with Fiona Cummings, funnily right. enough. Yeah, I know Fiona. So I'm, I'm, you, I'm you'll doing... probably know who she is. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing an event with her, actually. Uh, she's coming up to my hometown, and we're doing um, an in-person event um, middle of May, a couple of weeks' time, actually. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. I've, I've known Fiona for a few years now. Um, she's a friend of mine. She, she's, she's, I had her on, and we had such a fun time talking because we had so many things in common that, it just made it a really good chat because that's the whole point of this is kind of mm. strip away the myth and defunk a lot of myths about authors and you know because we're, we're we're people we've had lives before we became writers and mm. it's kind of really about showing people that hey you know we put our pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else you know it's not like we we have servants running around after us or or any of that rubbish, you know. Not yet. Anyway. We do everyday life stuff, you know. We wash dishes and we go to supermarkets and we stand in queues just like everyone else. So you know, it's good. And she she thoroughly enjoyed it because she's like, it's it's a great chance to just talk books and rubbish for mm. an hour and a half and you know lose yourself. So yeah, and I was actually excited because I quite I found you fascinating when I started researching you because you're a name that she suggested. And I was like, I have to know more. And, you know, as you said, you're a probation officer. So that must have fed into what you were doing as well and why you maybe chose the genre you did, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, sort of, yes. Um, it, it took, Commercially, it made, it made sense. Um, I mean, because when... No, no. Well, I mean, with very few exceptions. Then, usually, if you're a celebrity, um, you start off with with nothing. Uh, you don't have an agent. You don't have a yeah. publisher. Um, so, I took a very commercial. Well, actually, I did for two reasons. One was it was my preferred genre that I read anyway. So I was a big Michael Conley fan before I started to write crime fiction. A big Ed, Ed McBain yeah. fan, and, and and so on. Um, but also from a commercial point of view, I thought it's going to be much easier to. Um, just sort of stick my head above um, some of the other submissions by saying I am um, because at the time I was a an assistant chief probation officer, so I was in charge of an entire county. Wow. Um, yeah. So that that sort of it give, it give you right and a bit of credibility, um, or that's what I thought would, would would happen. I mean, in the end, I I sort of went in the direction of sort of over the top crime books. Um, so I don't really talk about. Um, the type of things that Fiona and other authors do exceptionally well. I, I tend to go for the over-the-top serial killers and the outlandish, um, cartoonish villains and, and, and things. And I just have a bit of fun. Crime writing plus, my editor calls it. Um, but certainly <laughs> being a probation officer was, was why I thought, right, I'm going to start with with crime. Because I, I, I could have went with fantasy, actually. I, I'm, I, I love fantasy books as well. 
Um, so I mean, that was always. So do uh, I. Yeah. Yeah, it was all, and I, I, I mean, I, I like lots of books. I like I like some science fiction and stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of an author called Nathan Lowell, who's a um, I think he's a self. Yep, know the name? Yeah. From the from the states, and he writes a, a series set in his own little universe, which is exceptionally well realized. And so I, I like a whole um, bunch of books, but. Crime writing made the most sense to me, just just to kick off and have somewhere to start, I suppose. And see, I've I'm just venturing in, so uh, <laughs> I started off in romance because I actually started off in wrestling. So yeah. <laughs> everyone looks at me funny when I say that, but um, wrestling actually has writers, which most people don't know. Nice. Um, and I had to work with these burly men who were all huge and big, and I'm five foot one, and I. I weigh less than a hundred pounds soaking wet. So I had learned skills very quickly that A, how to work with them, B, how to not upset them, which is a lot harder than people realize, but also to convince them that what I'm writing for their character is worth the time and putting their bodies on the line to do it. Mm. Um, And it taught me really good deep point of view. So, like, all my characters have a lot of layers, a lot of deep-rooted backstory, and you feel like they're normal people in a way. You can mm. connect to them because you understand them, and you can almost see where they're going. And a friend of mine said, Crystal, you've got one of the darkest, twisted minds sometimes. Why don't you try crime? And I was like, it's been a work in progress for about six, seven years because obviously jumping from romance to crime is huge. Mm. It's, it's not an easy leap. Um, so I started working with a detective in in America who's on the forty was on the first forty eight hours. He's retired now, and that sort of helped a little bit, I would say, to kind of find my feet and get you know I chose a case that I knew that I'd listened to and I'd watched, and I used that as a very loose foundation. And then I took it and I set it in the remote islands of Shetland, which I knew really well because that's where I lived and I grew up. And mm. crime up there is very different to crime down here. So it kind of tickled my sense of humor of I can, why don't I go and kill some people in Shetland and get away with it kind of on yeah. the written page. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm it was a bit of more fun for me. Um, she, she writes a, uh, her series set in Shetland, which I mean, which... Yeah. It makes it. A, 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 it looks like it's one of the most dangerous places to live um, in in the UK. Yeah, which, it, which of course isn't. It's the same with Cumbria. Actually, Cumbria is one of the lowest. Has one of the lowest crime rates in, in the country. But yeah, um, I write about serial killers and all sorts of weird stuff going on up here. So I mean, you, you just it's yeah, it's weird. The low crime areas has the best writers, I think, because Marzi Taylor, she's a crime writer, and she sets all hers on sailing boats, which I think. It's a bit of an odd one, if you think about it. Because, like, how can you commit a crime on a sailing boat and get away with it? <laughs> Somebody has to have seen something. And there's not that many people to kill on a sailing boat. Mm. So so I always think, you know, I, I find her work interesting for that regard because it's a very different place. I mean, it's just, you wouldn't it, it necessarily like think she's of just that. doing what Agatha Christie did, just giving you a country house, an isolated location with yeah. a finite group of um, suspects. I mean, that, that's in effect. And that's been done and will always be done. To death, yeah. Way of, of writing books. And, and for some readers, that's what they like, like to know who it could be and then try and work it out ahead of um, 
head of the detective. No, that, that, that's fine. I mean, that's not where I write. My, mine tend to be more road trippy, like, so they'll go from one place to the next, following the evidence, wherever. That's why, that's why I'm drawn to yours, in a way, because I'm not... I'm somebody that usually works out who's done it very quickly. And mm. then I, I, I lose all interest. <laughs> because I'm like... Well, I know who's done it, and it's just frustrating that you guys can't, like, you, the characters can't see it, you know? Yeah. So I just end up getting very frustrated with it, which is why I love Fiona Cummings, because I never know who's done it with her. <laughs> and it oh, sort of drives me slowly you, you, insane. You, you just don't know why, um, which, which yeah. is just cool, obviously. Um, but, I mean, with, 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 with mine, with the puppet show, uh, which was the first one, I reckon about 20% of people, maybe a bit less, worked out who the villain was. But not, yeah. not not so much why. Well, Black Summer, the second one, nobody, well, one person said they did, but they were lying. Um, and then it, it Yeah, sort there's of, no it, way they could sort of, have, yeah. It sort of fluctuates. Um, the, uh, the the botanist actually is is an interesting one. I'll be interested to see what people make of make of that. Because um, I, I, I th- that's the first one where maybe the character isn't actually on, on screen, he's off screen for a while. Um, so you, you can't you can't work it out. Then in the Mercy Chair, yeah, which, that, that's which is good. the one that's out probably not until back end of twenty three now. The way things are panning out, um, yeah, COVID's no, kind of screwed no, us all no, up on nobody, uh, will, nobody will get that one. Um, but it's it's good, and I, I like to try and get ahead of the detective. Um, I've never I, I never beat Bosch. Um, uh, Harry Bosch. <laughs> you try me. though. You um, try. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's it's fun trying. Um, and some of some of my other favourites as well. I mean, some of my favourites like Don Winslow and um, Dennis Lehane and Carl Hyacinth. It's not so much the who did it; it's just the why did it and what happened after they did it and all that type of stuff. A lot of it's to do with covering yeah, I mean, stuff and, and, and things, uh, which is you uh, were like you were one of because well, when I started, I had looked up you before, and I hadn't actually realised I'd, I'd looked into you before because my my uh, brother loved serial killers. He went through this sort of weird phase when he was 16 of being really into serial killers. Mm. And it wasn't until I started looking at going into writing that I started looking at all different kinds of books and stuff. And I remember your name popping up and I thought, Ooh, okay. And I never got the opportunity to read yours because <laughs> At that time, I was I was a bit of a scaredy cat. I'll admit, um, but now because I've I ventured in and I've spent a lot of time with an actual detective, who by the way has still not worked out who the murderer is in my book, so I don't know how I've managed that. But um, yeah, he he kind of opened my mind to like serial killers don't always have to make logical sense. Crystal, you know, some people are very emotionally driven are very narcissistic or very kind of in themselves. So don't worry about it. Just worry about building the story. Um, And it's weird to hear a police officer say, we actually have to construct the story to get a conviction. Kind of baffled me a bit. Like, I didn't think that that was their way about going to get, like, you know, put the case together. Because they were like, well, what makes sense in a story that we can then sell to the DA? And then the DA can go prosecute. And I was like, that's such a... I never thought of it like that. Have you yeah, kind of like yeah. had those kind of conversations? 
Um, well, I mean, I, I used to go to meetings with the chief constable and all sorts um, when I was um, in probation. And um, I, I mean, the reality is a lot, a lot of the, the cases that we dealt with were just nasty, banal, nasty violent offences, yeah. which um, were very, very quickly solved um, because it was the husband killing his wife or it was a drug debt or... Or something like, or something like that. Um, a lot of violent assaults, obviously, and um, domestic violence, and all, all sorts of horrific stuff. Yeah, um, you would have had all sorts. Yeah. When it when it comes to a trial, the um, the, the particularly jury ta- jury trials, because um, not every trial in the UK is is a jury trial. You can be tried by magistrates. Um, you can always elect to have a jury trial. Um, but um, yeah. you don't necessarily have to have one if your offence and there's, a, there's certain types of offences have to go to Crown Court um, and be tried in front of a jury. But the jury wants to hear a story. They yeah. want to know why it happens. They want to know why it happened as well as what happened. Um, and if they yeah. don't understand the why, which is the story, um, then the, the they sometimes have a problem um, con- convicting sometimes because obviously a um, defendant is going to be saying, I didn't do it, it was someone else. And if the yeah. prosecution Go say, to, yeah, like, it was him, but they haven't explained why he did it, then clearly the motive is is missing. And motive um, is an important part of, of any offence. Now, obviously, some crimes are motiveless or seemingly motiveless. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I explore that in, in, in the Poe and Tilly books because um, one of their... Mm-hmm. Remit to, in 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 my story is, is they look at they look for serial killers and apparently motiveless crimes. I mean, very few crimes are motiveless, yeah. even if the motive seems absolutely ridiculous to um, people with a ounce of common sense. They uh, before, I mean, this is probation coming out again. Before you do anything, you do a cost benefit analysis. Um, so you just yeah. had a, a, a cup of a drink of your tea there you without even realizing you just went through a, a micro process of cost benefit as i'm thirsty but um do i have to talk no i don't think i'm asking to talk so you've, you've done you've done a very very quick analysis of of that yeah and most people will go through thousands of those a day without realizing and obviously some of the bigger decisions that you have to make you'll you'll go through a more complex process uh, and that's the same with committing offenses um even if we used to um, go through an exercise with violent offenders, um, particularly ones in pubs and things like that. And they would say, they would say, I couldn't help it. He he, um, he stood on my foot and I just laughed out. And when you drill down to it, you said, well, Which if it was a five-year-old yeah. girl who had stood on your foot, would you have lashed out? And they'll say, no. And they'll say, well, therefore you made a decision. It might have been a very, yeah. very, very quick decision, but you made a decision that you were going to hit that person rather than not hit that person. Um, and that's all motive is. It, it, it's, it's, some of it is a well-thought-out motive, and some of it is, a, is, is a, um, done very much in the, in the heat of the moment. But everyone makes a, a decision to do something, unless it's a, a, a genuine accident like um, death by dangerous driving or, or something like that when yeah, um, yeah you were just speeding you didn't obviously intend to kill somebody but um it was your action yeah accident. see i i have a very kind of i don't know if i'm jaded but i think if you're dangerous driving you're making a conscious decision oh yeah yeah to but drive I mean, the, dangerously. The, the, intent, the end result wasn't what you intended it's the same with drunk drivers um you're clearly culpable 
um, for, for yeah. what happened, and it is your fault. But the intent wasn't there. You were you were you didn't make a decision to go out and hurt someone. You made a decision to drive thirty miles over the speed limit or to have five pints yeah. behind the wheel of a car. Um, I mean, and then you do get into um, the. I mean, it's an interesting one actually because if you say I was so drunk, I didn't know what I was doing. That's not a defence in, in English law. Um, but no, it's not a, here either. <laughs> if you have a mental health condition, which and you do something, you said, "Well, I didn't know what I was doing," then that is a defence in English law. So, I mean, it, it's a bit. Yeah. It, it's incredibly complex when it when it when it comes to things like that, um, and and it's something that as crime writers you can you can explore because a lot of what you want to do is conflict. Um, yeah, exactly. And exploring conflict is is an integral part to to each book. So I mean, even, I, I mean, in my there's conflicts in all my books. I mean, it might not be with a major, it might just be Poe kicking back against authority or being told not to investigate a certain crime, and he's just going to do it anyway. But um, oh, but conflict is yeah. He says, "Oh, sorry, I'll go for it." Yeah, crime book. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, a, because, because conflict. So when it comes, yeah. When it comes to your inspiration, do you look at cases that's maybe going on in the world as a sort of source of kind of touching base with what crime's like now, or is no. it just like you get these ideas? I I, I just get ideas out of nowhere. Um, I I don't look. At, I mean, so, sometimes some current events will spark an idea, but very yeah. rarely will I look at um, true crimes for for inspiration because that's not the type of thing I do. I think other there are other authors authors doing it far better than I ever could um, yeah, and course. I enjoy reading them but it's not something I particularly want and that might be just because probation it would just be a bit like um going back to work almost because I mean some of the reports that we that we had to write for because we um as probation officers you write pre-sentence reports um which advise on sentencing and they look at motivation and things that might be done to stop offending in the future, that type of thing. So it's a big risk assessment, but it's also part of history of what happened, the uh, history of um, like a biography of the offender's life, that type of thing. Um, now, when when you're writing that, some of those, particularly on the complex, some of the complex and serious, they can run to 14, 15 pages. Um, yeah. And... To me, writing a novel based on something like one of those offences would have just been like writing a pre-sentence report. It would, that's how it would have it would have felt um, to me. So I tend to yeah. um, make up something outlandish, and then um, I'll, I'll, I mean, the way I I process it in my mind, I start with a crime. I'll work out the motivation for the crime because, like I said, everyone makes a decision for something. So you'll never get somebody just yep. cutting off somebody's noses just because they want to. There'll be a reason why they're cutting off someone's noses. Yeah, yeah. Um, and don't steal that idea. That's going to be in Poe 9 probably. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I won't. So I'll have the crime. I'll I'll have the location where it's going to happen. And then I'll basically throw Poe and Tilly at it. And I'll say, right, go and solve it. And I'll, that's, 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 that's yeah. what I'll do. So I'll sort of start at the end and I'll go back to the beginning and then we'll meet in the middle somewhere. Because it, it was so weird for me. I actually came up with uh, my idea and then the detective I was talking to, he's like, you do realize this murder has already happened here, right? And I went, no. <laughs> and then I had to go look at the case because it totally like threw me in a way. I was like, oh, for mine, you know, an entire branch of a family gets wiped out. But all that's left is the children that can't talk, the ones mm. that can't identify or can't, you know. 
So it's, it's a very brutal, essentially, crime. And it's the opening one to my series. And he laughed at me. He goes, how do you not know that this has happened in Ohio? And I went, because I don't follow American news. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you got to remember, I stay in Scotland where we don't get, like, your news. So I then went and I watched it. And do you know they still can't solve it? Really? And with what's out there and what, like, what you can see on the news, I'm thinking, how, how, how are you not putting this together? You know, the media is telling you what the motive is. So how, how are you not putting these final pieces together? And even he reckons it's been botched. But yeah, yeah, it was so weird to have that kind of moment of, oh, somebody's already, you know, so this has already happened and I didn't even know about it. Mm. Um, yeah, and I always been baffled and and it's so nice to have somebody that I can talk to about crime and not feel like silly almost because I like to dive into stuff. But I've never understood and maybe you can explain this to me, but in the Highlands and Islands particularly, people are getting away with mutilation and really serious assaults and they're only getting like 235 days on paid labor. They're not going to prison. So these people are getting re-released onto the streets. And I'm thinking, if you know that these people have done offenses maybe one or twice, why are you re-releasing them into the Shetland community? Like, all you're causing is xenophobia and fear among the community. I I always wondered about that, and I wondered if you can maybe explore that. Because I know that in the Highland and Islands is a question that's asked quite a lot, and Maybe you can give us some insight from your point. I mean, I'm I'm not as familiar with Scottish law as I am with, with Engl- the law in England and Wales, but they're, they're fairly similar. Um, and it's yeah. there's there's very few exceptions where the state has the authority to bar somebody from from a place. Um, yeah, and invariably it will be. Um, in fact, in fact, legally, it has to be a prison sentence over a certain amount of time. When that happens, then the victim has a um, a say on whether they um, want the victim back in their area. And if they say no, then the victim, then the perpetrator will have to relocate somebody somewhere. Yeah, for, for which is kind of hard in Shetland. Yeah. Well, that's just their tough. I mean, we, we've had people um, when who couldn't come back to Carlisle. Their entire family was in Carlisle. Their entire life had been in Carlisle. But they'd committed an offence yeah. against a resident of Carlisle, and they weren't allowed back in Carlisle, and they couldn't understand it either. Wow. They, well, but I live in Carlisle, so well, not anymore. You don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> where do I live? And we say that's not a problem to a certain degree. We'll we'll help you go by, find somewhere. Yeah. By putting you in a hostel to start with, a probation hostel out of county, um, and then you, they will help you relocate to to where you live now, um, and. Particularly for life sentences, actually life sentences, because um, a lot of people don't understand life sentence how life sentences work in the UK. So if you get a life yeah. sentence, you are always under the control of the state, even after you have been released, and you can be recalled to prison um, for for, for uh, nearly anything, for not, isn't it? For not for not doing anything really, for just for risk. So it, um, when when I was um, managing life um, life sentence prisoners, when they were out in the community after they served the custodial part of their sentence um we would look at their behavior as a a, a sort of um a holistic thing so it wasn't just their criminality it was 
it was their drinking and their drug use and their mental health. And if their drinking or drug use and mental health deteriorated to the point where we think, actually, this is now a risk factor, we would just whip them back to prison. We don't have to go back to court. I just, in fact, it was me because I was the assistant chief. I would just sign a bit of paper and the police would go out and pick them up and they'd go back to prison for a couple of years yeah. and have to go through the release process all over again. So that for people like that, they will never, ever be allowed back into their home county. Um when they had to go back for, say, the death of a relative or something, then there would be yeah. an entire process they would have to apply. Um, so normally it would be mm-hmm. probation, a probation officer from the county where they live would get in touch with us and say, such and such wants to come back. A, will you even consider this? And then we go through a process and we'd talk to the police and we make sure and we tell the victim such and such might be coming back to attend a funeral. Um, yeah. or the victim's family, um, obviously, if it's, a, if it's a murder case. Um, and if they say no, then that's pretty much it, to, to be honest. Um, yeah. If they say yes, then the police might escort them and things like that. So it can be done, but it's only for the extreme for the extreme cases. Yeah. In the Highlands, then obviously you're talking a fairly small pool of people uh, where everyone knows each yeah, other. Um, it's, and it's it, crazy. Yeah, it, and it's sort of similar to Cumbria, actually. um there's a couple of cities, but most of the time it's, it's little like clannish villages and small towns, which yeah. you know, everyone knows each other. Nobody really goes outside their village. And every now and then a violent fellow will go to prison for a couple of years and he'll come back out and he'll hit yeah. someone and he'll go back in. So, so I mean, some of these people just revolve around this, <laughs> really. I mean, it, it's yeah. so, but and obviously in, 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 I mean, we don't have it to the extent the Americans do with three strikes and you're out. Um, so if you're yeah. committing low-level offences, you're going to keep on getting low-level punishments. Um, if you keep on committing assaults and eventually you're going to go to prison, you're not going to get your unpaid work, uh, your community services that used to be yeah. Um And that, I, I mean, I was just so very surprised. We have a more measured approach, that. I think, to punishment in the UK, and I think part of that is, yeah, and um, we don't actually have a for-profit um, penal system like the, like the I was reading that no. set in. I, I think it was Texas about how this guy had invested, he'd borrowed $7.5 million and he'd made $150 million in like three years because he, he basically, uh, he didn't bribe a judge, he didn't do anything illegal, but he um, courted the judge to send yeah. young men his way. So, I mean, pe- people in, te- in that particular mm-hmm. judge's court were getting sent to prison far more. Um, much Regularly, like, yeah. Another, another thing. So we don't have that in the UK. Even the for-profit prisons, they get paid to run a prison they don't it doesn't matter if they're full or empty who's their, in it yeah their bottom line and i i just always thought it was fascinating because i grew up with um this idea that if you're a shetlander you kind of get a free pass in our court system in shetland but if you're an outsider you get sent away it was just always the unfairness of it growing up baffled me because yeah, it was yeah, one could, sheriff. Yeah, there could have been a bit of that. That um, because obviously it's a tourist, and, and uh, I mean, and there's a commercial thing on that actually. I mean, the the, the um, yeah. Scotland is heavily reliant on tourism, obviously. Um, it is, yeah. And if tourists stop coming because it's a bloodbath every night in the pubs, then Shetland will lose a lot of money. So they will go hard on tourists, and it ha- it, it's not just Shetland that it happens. Um, uh, certainly, around in in the lakes, Lake District, where where, where we're from, very touristy, yeah. like twenty million visitors a year. 
Um, it's the most visited place in the in the UK, the Lake District. And if you come over and cause trouble, you are going to be treated harshly by the courts. There's absolutely, it's, uh, and it's a, part of it. Is, it's it's part strange. Of the yeah. is, does have a deterrent element built in. Whereas if you're a Shetlander, that deterrent thing doesn't need to be taken into account. So you you might you could well get yeah. short sentences. Yeah. I mean, because we've we had a murder. Um, it would have been about two years now. Because I'd literally just moved up, and it was a drug debt. And these two had come up from South and it was the most ridiculous case you've ever heard of. It really was. This two came up and uh, they killed this girl very publicly in the square of her housing area. So all her neighbors saw. Mm. And then they tried to rob a guy 30 minutes later with the same knife they killed her with. (laughs) And they're covered in blood. And I'm thinking, really? Like... You're just asking to get picked up. Yeah. Know? And I mean, every Shetlander. I, I mean, never. The Shetlanders under- told the police what had happened before the police knew. Yeah, never underestimate the stupidity of criminals. Uh, I. I. I, um, I had these two lads on probation once. This is going back a few years when I was actually a probation officer. Yeah. And I was actually working face to face with clients. And they were doing okay. And um, so I got a call from the police saying such and such. Both, both of them had been picked up for armed robbery. Which is a serious <laughs> okay. offence in yeah. the in the UK as it is yeah. everywhere. So they went through the court process, and before sentence, I had to go to Durham Prison to interview them. And I said, "Why did you do it?" And they said, "We needed money to pay our fines." And I was like, "Just stupid like that." <laughs> and they offence. They just when they went outside, they realised they didn't have gloves, um, so they took their socks off and put their socks over their hands. So they went in like with sock puppets. Then they ditched their jacket <laughs> um, on the way out because they thought they were wearing distinctive jackets, which they were. But they had um, letters to uh, probation appointments. In, yeah. In, they left them in the thing. So they actually basically left their name and address in the thing. So they were picked. I think the police were waiting for them at home when they arrived. Um, and they got four years for that. And you think, well... <sighs> That's a bit mental, this, isn't there's, it? There's some stupidity that you can't... You can't clever somebody up. So I can do all the offending programs I want. I could say you need to think and all this. Yeah. You'll stop think. Um, is that a fact, opinion, or a guess? That all these types of tools that we would put in their sort of um, cognitive toolbox. But you can't make someone cleverer than than they are. If they're stupid, no. they're going to do stupid things. I and mean, that's just the nature of stupidity, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I, I just, uh, in some, some respects, living in Shetland is good because you're, it's 60-mile-long island. So there is nothing like your car gets nicked or insurance jobs just doesn't happen because guess what? Where are you going to take the freaking car? You can't get it off the island. Yeah. Everyone's going to know it's you that's speeding around like an idiot. Um, so I, I loved growing up in that regard. But what, what always troubled me when I sort of hit my 20s was looking and seeing the, the level of children crime that was happening I grew up with um, hidden domestic crime. You mm. know, myself, I was I was a hidden domestic violent victim. And because it was such a small island, you know, things like women's aid didn't work the way it should have. And there was very little proper protection in place for people, particularly like me. And it wasn't until I moved away with a guy from Glasgow, right? So mm. I went from an island of semi-low crime to the east end of Glasgow, which was a <clears throat> eye-opening experience, if I'll ever say. <laughs> and 
I kind of realized then that, you know, me covering for somebody that was a was a violent guy was ridiculous. And it was almost like I learned it was okay to open up. But that level of um, you have to fear the police in Shetland for girls, not not for boys, but for the girls is so high. Mm. It's ridiculous. You honestly get it drummed into your head as a teenager fear the police don't talk to the police if you talk to the police everyone will know and they'll make you out to be a liar because they don't want crime to be the topic in islands and you know if, if you're stupid enough to be with a guy who beats you well guess what that's on you and that was the attitude and i thought like and another way of doing this podcast is to say hey you know i'm holding you the island sort of you know attitude is responsible because you never know how many women up there are actually struggling with that kind of thing or how many teenage girls are struggling with that so I'm kind of hoping that through this at least it might make them feel like yeah you know what there is girls out there that believe you and yeah. if I'd been wiser I would have known all the girls in my class knew that I was being beaten and abused and I I would have probably opened up sooner but it's that level of community fear that's just that exists there do you find that in your area yeah certainly um part because i worked in west cumbria and that very much had a sort of shetland field feel to it it was very it was isolated and yeah um there there was a lot of violence against women um there was a lot of violence against men but um there was i mean there was um i remember i remember a guy uh while he was being arrested for beating his wife, he was telling the police, this has got nothing to do with you, even though his hands were covered in blood and his yep. wife was unconscious on the floor. And and that attitude, um, it, it's getting better, obviously, but it's not getting better fast enough. And um, some of the things that, uh, th- that the Me Too movement highlighted are, are still prevalent particularly now in, in in the sort of shadows and corners of the UK where perhaps they yeah. don't have access to all the services like women's aid that you mentioned and victim support and all all this all this type of thing and if you I mean if you're in in the Shetlands and you want to still live in the Shetlands then everyone is going to know your business I mean that is just a yeah. fact isn't it you could you, you can't um, you unless you've got one of those like men in black neuralizers um, <laughs> That so, would have I mean, been so well, helpful you, as a teenager. Glasgow, and and you want to stay in Glasgow, you can just move to a different part of Glasgow, and you can melt into it, and you and you can invent a new. Yeah, life exactly. Yeah. Um, or if you live in Glasgow, you're probably just as happy living in London or Birmingham or, or something. Like that. But if you live in the Shetlands yeah. and you like that way of life, then what 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 do you do? I mean, it, I mean, some people are just put in horrific um, positions where yeah. they have to choose between the life that they want to live or their physical safety potential um death and that was a decision i had to make yeah i Mm. had to i actually said to my partner we'd only been dating a week and i said to him i don't think i could stay here i think he's going to kill me if he finds out that i'm Mm. with you and it was that moment where i kind of had that conscious click of i have to protect myself because nobody else is going to Mm was a really big movement for me. And I, I got on the back of his motorcycle and I rolled the dice because, you know, I've only dated this guy a week. Mm. You know, I've been talking to him for three months online, but this guy could be a complete psycho. 
and not I might not know it. And I rolled the dice and I went to Glasgow and and it was like the biggest relief almost because I could oh, finally just sort of break the silence on everything that I told in from for, from thirteen. So it was like, and it was weird because I was then able to tell him this guy's stalking me. He showed up in Glasgow twice mm. and, you know, I got so scared. And then I finally said to him, I'm like, he showed up twice. And it was such a relief for him to turn around and say, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're in Glasgow. You've got, you know, family all throughout Glasgow. You're safe. Mm. You know, he's not going to touch you. And it broke that spell that I had lived with for like so many years and it was such a good thing. And and that's why I say to women, sometimes you have to just completely walk out the door, slam it shut, and just keep trying again. Because it's worth yeah, it. I, 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 and I, and we, I mean, I used to get asked all the time, why why do women stay with um, their abusers? And it's an incredibly complex Fear. subject. And um, the answer is going to be different for every single every single yep. victim is going to have the motivations for staying or um, or, or yeah. leaving or, or, or whatever. Um, so it's it, usually complex ties. It's like you know you're is. scared I mean, that I mean, it's going to be worse. Was, so. um, I I dealt with a case. Um, I won't tell you where because the, the you, listeners might be actually identify it. Um, but it was a small town yeah. in, in, um, in 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 Cumbria where. The guy, uh, the woman was on probation to me actually because she'd been she'd been caught shoplifting. Of course, when yeah. I drilled down to it, it was because her husband um, would only give her enough money to buy the groceries. Um, mm-hmm. So he made her stay at home, but basically kept her a financial prisoner. Um, and she tried to leave him, and he was he was he was incredibly violent to her. So she left him and did all the right things that people would say she did all the right things. She went to um, a charity. They re, they rehomed her. Um, yeah. But they put her in a um, an unfurnished house or a very a sparsely furnished house with little things. Yeah. She was on benefits. She went from living in a big house in a nice market town to living on an estate somewhere. Um, her children went with her because that, that's what they and they, they were there about yeah. a week and they were like sod this um they didn't like it so they, back went to back. Dad, yep. they went they went back to the father um who lived in the big house and it was a very well respected member of the community he was captain of the rugby team and blah de, blah de, blah nobody yeah, believed they usually are, yep. because it was obviously it was just one of those that i want to believe the captain of the rugby team to be an honorable man that type of thing uh, and in the yep. end, she went. She went back to him because she missed the children. Um, she would rather just mm-hmm. go. She would rather live in her mind. What she was being put through was better than not being with her children. So I mean, to to, to, to say um, it's the ties. It is the yeah, ties. Yeah, you, you can't, you stay, you can't yeah. say it's. It, it's certainly not a binary choice. Um, that that no, it's um, not. Women have when they're in violent or abusive relationships. And I think this is like it's good because like you know Fiona and I talked about this and, and I do this sort of thing where this is an inclusive podcast. So it's for everybody. It's not, you know, I don't just have on bestsellers. I have on new authors. I have on disabled authors because you'd be surprised at how many disabled authors actually struggle with getting published, getting out there. I've seen publishers turn down people with learning disabilities all the time. 
and it's, it's for the stupidest reasons. You know, if you're dyslexic, <laughs> you got a 97% chance that you've got a more uphill battle than anybody else. Mm. And I know that for a fact. So like that was what, another reason of starting this was to kind of be able to have these open conversations, but in-depth conversations with people from all over the world, from all circumstances. And I think mm. it's really good. It's, and I think it's it's going to hopefully maybe change a lot of people's opinions and to be able to hear from you in particularly um kind of what you've done and what you've seen and what you've worked through is probably going to inspire quite a lot of people to either change their lives or you know tell their stories and i think that's incredible and to have you on is is such an honor for that reason it's uh, yeah I, i mean publishing is uh well thank you for that obviously but um there's, I mean, there, there are more and more places that will help, but these places yeah. are still going to f- struggle to find their ways to the the sort of outer edges of um of the of the UK. But I think the what you said about publishing is interesting because I think it has been predominantly, I was going to say predominantly dominated, which is an awful way of talking. It's been dominated by by. Um, by white authors, I mean that, that's pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, and um, and that. Well, I don't think that that wasn't a, a conscious decision. I, I just thought, I mean, it's it's a business at the end of the day, and um, for a for a while, um, authors, um, non-white authors, were struggling to make money, and that wasn't the author's fault, and it wasn't the book's fault. It was the fact that the um, the the public market really and marketing were from the same background as the people that they were so they they weren't sure how how to market them so they weren't they weren't um they, they, but i think they're getting better they've, they've sort of recognized that now um yeah they're more inclusive now than what they also were public, publishers will take a risk on authors um a lot more than they, they would actually because because i mean some of the some, my my publisher um not every author make makes their money, but as long as the bottom line is in is in the black instead of the red, then yeah, I think it's pretty much it, it, it's all good, and that and that's, and that's a great thing. And there's some fantastic opportunities um, being, being given to sort of non traditional authors, and I, I I sort of include myself in that because I mean for a while working class authors, particularly from the north of England, weren't really considered as a, as a viable option for publishing, but now there, there are a lot of us. Um, to the point, it, yeah. it, feel, it feels like we don't need to be given that chance anymore, and, and move over. Let's let's get another um, non-traditional area in. Yeah, we'll give them their turn as well. Um, we we don't need to sort of be given special treatment anymore. Um, Do you think that maybe of, Catherine Cookson played a role in bringing more North English authors into like more prominent positions? Do you think that because she was Northern and she it was really that, broke a lot of barriers. Catherine yeah. Cookson? Because um, she's not too far from where you were, right? She's not. No, she's only a half-hour drive. Uh, I don't know. I, I, really, I really don't know because um, the stuff that she used to write about, which is very much working class, the colliery villages yeah. and, and all that type of stuff, um, I don't know enough about her background to know if she, she was actually one of those one of those um whether she, she did from, do crime she from, did crime in a different community. way yeah um the I, I don't know who's broke down the barriers actually I, I really don't know it used to be a very london centric business um 
I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, now it isn't so much. Now most of the big publishing houses are um, have satellite offices um, throughout yep. the UK. So um, my my publisher Hachette, um, my umbrella publisher, has offices all over. The, they have Newcastle and um, Edinburgh and Manchester and all sorts of places now. Um, to try and catch that talent that is all over the country because the talent isn't just in London, um, and you wouldn't have known that you would. It, it did look like that for a while because it was only London authors getting published. Um, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And the, I, I suppose technology made it easier for um, the uh, for authors to sort of um, explode it, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, just to, just to, just to sort of try. Submit easily and 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 think just the same way that um, the pandemic forced us all on a Zoom, which <laughs> yeah. a load of opportunities for. Um, you mentioned disabled authors. I mean, there was festivals that were online last couple of years that were always in person, that which were pretty much inaccessible for um, yeah. some disabled people and for some people who um, maybe didn't have the funds, um, couldn't afford to go to Harrogate for four nights and um, pay three hundred pounds. For tickets and hotels and packages and things. It's like the that. same with Bloodfest here. We could just yeah. look online, log in, maybe pay tenner for a for a whole weekend's worth of entertainment and a bit of see and talk to their favourite authors. Exactly. So yeah. Sometimes it does take a, a, something like um, the a pandemic. <laughs> a pandemic, <laughs> to break or, down a, the barriers, or um, yeah. but and then but it, and I, I don't mean that. Just I mean I, I think for social movements to start. So the and the Black Lives Matter obviously started. Um, there was what when obviously there wasn't one single event started that, but there was one no, event that sort no. of brought it to a head. Um, and the Me Too movement in in the UK um, started. Well, I mean, it started everywhere, but um, there were, there that was, was a very groundswell of yeah. sort of anger, and then eventually one thing, and, it, and then it, then it's out, and then things change, and maybe that's just the way things will continue to change. Going, it's a bit like yeah. evolution, I suppose. I mean, evolution is not is not a um, very gradual process. It tends to be gradual. Then, then will be a big leap in evolution. Then there'll be a few more steps, and another big yep. leap, and things. Like that. And so, I mean, that's just that. I think the way humans are, and animals. I don't know why we're getting into Charles Darwin now, but that's just the way my mind. <laughs> I, I swear, it has a he has an influence in crime novels because if you you kind of look at um, a lot of how criminals evolve, it you could almost tie it into his theory in a way. Um, but you could also tie it into a lot of other very kind of famous psychological experts too. Um, I worked with kids that were at risk and I, I did it for during the pandemic, which I thought was a bit crazy because I was high risk the entire time. But I, I wanted to give these kids that were at risk a second chance mm. because there's so many of these learning assistants that don't kind of, like I clued into it very quickly okay i've got three people in this room who are acting out because they're going through stuff at home or they're witnessing stuff at home uh that's you know that we need to be paying attention to and i was able to safeguard quite a few kids actually prior to the pandemic and then through the pandemic but it was for me i went back because i wanted to do something i wanted to do good However, kind of with my health condition, um, I have idiotic rheumatoid arthritis. Right. Which sounds like I'm saying I'm an idiot, but I'm really not. <laughs> I actually had somebody say to me, what did you say? Did you call yourself an idiot? No, I didn't. Um, 
they've changed that uh, diagnosis title, I think, at least 36 times. And I've had that since I was two and a half years old. So, like, for me, I've almost studied people. Because if you're forced to sit in a bed or in the chair for long periods of time, you end up, the only entertainment you really have is people around you. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of my characters have that really deep connection to the world and really deep sort of class connections is because I've watched people and I've seen how people react. And I've, I, that's why I, I find like yourself exceedingly interesting and people that have gone and the, lived these extremely interesting lives because I can tell you I've met some really crazy ass people over my 30 odd years because being in a night hospital you you know it's not like you're in a single room on your own you're mm. in quads or you're in like open wards where you're meeting like 20 to 30 people at a time so and I'm one of these faces because everybody thinks I sound like a kid or I look really young for my age. They congregate towards me. So I end up with all these amazing stories and I end up with all these amazing um, life experiences. And it kind of makes me feel older than I am. But that's what feeds into my my writing. Do you feel that about yours? Like with all the vast people you've met and you've interacted with, do you feel like you've kind of absorbed all these amazing personalities into your work? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm a bit of a sponge, really. I mean, so I mean, I joined the army when I was 16, and yeah. I met characters from from day one, um, and then probation uh, after being at university for for a couple of years. And being at university as a mature student was an experience, which um, was was. Both Did you get the look and, of and, of and, the old man in the corner kind of look? Well, no, because I, I was doing a social work course. So I was actually one of the youngest on the social work course, but I was still oh, in, really? on, on a camp because you can't be a social worker until I come in until whatever age you are in, in the UK. So it's not an attractive profession for people to no, do straight from school because they'll qualify, then they can't actually practice. Um, and also, yeah. the people who. Um, uh, want to employ social workers have certain criteria. One of which is you must have life experience because if if you're in yeah. crisis, this um, last thing you want to be talking talking to is a 21 year old straight out of school. Um, so the social workers, yeah, I would have just walked out the room if that was the case. Yeah, <laughs> so I get that. The social workers <laughs> are always the um, oldest people on campus, um, but I yeah. was one of the youngest social workers. Um, I, I was straight out of the army, so that that was that that was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I've got the weird kind of memory that if I saw you again in the street, I wouldn't recognise you. But I'll better recall everything we were talking about. Um, so I, exactly, I don't, yeah. I don't remember faces, but I can recall bits of snippets of conversation and things like that. And whenever I need something in a book, just a fresh character, I'll just right, I'll just go in, into the memory bank and all right, I'll pick him. He, he had a <clears throat> a unique way of talking, which I think will come well across on paper or it'll just be a phrase or, or just something which um yeah. will, will stick um and I, I i'm assuming that as long as i've got that that I, I can always come up with characters who are um so you can you can tell them apart on the page um and, and a good test yeah and that's really important knowing yeah. if each character's got a voice as if you can actually have people talking to each other without using dialogue tags um yeah and you, you you take all your di- dialogue tags out of a big bit of um, dialogue and if you can't tell who's talking then all your characters are sounding the same and you, you need the to same, sort of yeah, have, exactly. have a think about that 
And sometimes when I'm rushing, because um, my wife is normally the first person to read my books, and she will say, <laughs> they're all, yeah. these two characters are beginning to sound the same. And that's because I'm rushing the dialogue, and they're all talking like I would talk. Yep. Um, and then I'll go back and I'll I'll, 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 I'll sort that out. Um, so yeah. It, it's, yeah, so... I, I, I do that do, too. It's so funny, yeah. I, I take bits of everything. I, I, I won't steal someone's life. That's something I won't. So if they, someone's had an awful experience or um, something like that, then I won't use that in a book. But I'll, I'll certainly yeah. use the way that they've described it or the jokes that they or made talked, about, yeah. or the moaning or the, or the way that they swear or something like that. Then then that, that's fair game as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. And I think writers, it is a lot about our life experience that comes onto the page. Because when I wrote Marie's World, you know, I wrote it when I was very chaotic and I had a lot of mayhem in my life and particularly my, my sort of mental capacity at that time was chaos, chaos, chaos. Mm. And it really comes through on the page. And as I've sort of grown up and matured as a person and as a writer, you've, you can actually see my, my voice change almost to go from that chaotic, excited, over the top person to being this mellow person who can actually sit and put together a really good piece of work when I take my time. But I'm mm. a bit like you, I rush because <laughs> in Shetland we had a thousand words a second because that was how we spoke. However, you can't do that on a page. <laughs> it doesn't work. So you mm. have to slow it down. And writing really made me do that was slow things down and sort of kind of get to that point. And the dyslexia was also a great way of kneecapping me, essentially, because I could come up with some great phrases. Like, I, I will tell you this. I had a therapist in hospital, and I, I was trying to describe how I felt. And I said, well, it's like shotgun anxiety. Well, for the life of this guy, he could not get that out of his mind for <laughs> the whole time he knew me. Every time he looked at me, he went, shotgun anxiety. Mm. And he went to teach his class, and he's like, I can't use that term in a class. And it bugged him because it, it described it perfectly. Mm. But he's like, you can't really use that term because then they're going to go out and use that term, and it's not maybe appropriate. So I have that way of I kind of rub on people, and I kind of leave an impression. And mm. it's so funny because... I always think of myself as someone that can drift through life and people will not remember me. But I have found myself, I'll go into a hospital where people don't, you know, when you're at a hospital, you don't remember people because you see a million faces. Mm. But I have people that I'll, I maybe have met five, six years ago who I've totally forgotten because yeah. I'm constantly moving. And they'll go, oh my God, you're that girl from Shetland. And it's like, everybody then will remember me from like a phrase I've said or that way and that's kind of what I try and hold on to as well in my writing is the <coughs> phrases or the little actions that make somebody who they are and that's what I feed into my book so it's so cool that you have that same kind of no, way I, of looking I, at it. I, I also I, I try even the minor characters I, tr I try and give a bit of a personality so as if they've got a backstory that can be quite interesting and sometimes you come across you'll invent a sort of a, a bit of gold and you think right yeah. that character is going to be a recurring character now um, and sometimes it comes from the most weird places. So I remember in uh, Dead Ground, uh, the fourth Poe book, when I was writing it, my friend had dared me to get the phrase uh, bugger rumbled. 
Um, <laughs> bugger, like that. bugger, I've been rumbled. Um, yeah. And said, I dare you to get the phrase bugger rumbled in. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that. Uh, so I invented a, a street, a, a sort of homeless guy who does street performance called Bugger Rumble. And it was so <laughs> much fun to write this eccentric character. And yeah. he's now a recurring character. So I've just written him into, into a new one. And um, he'll, he'll be one of those characters that every couple of books he'll, he'll crop up. People like, have Bugger Rumble. Uh, but, oh, sorry, Bugger Rumble. I'm even getting the name wrong myself now. Um, and every, yeah. every every book, he'll have a new bit of street entertainment and it'll be a, a lot of fun and it'll be an Easter egg for readers of the character and things like that. But it's all about... It, it, you'll recognise it yourself. You'll have read books yourself when yeah. every character sounds the same. Um, yeah, I do. I, I'll get haven't confused, been particularly yeah. well edited. or and, and they won't do very well in the long term. Readers will t- turn off the series like that because... Um, yeah, exactly. They, 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 they just, they, I mean, you, you can usually tell with, with books, whether a book's doing well by looking at, um, well, I'm going to have to go now. That's um, for me, I think. Oh, no. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I know that feeling where you're like, damn, the postman's here. <laughs> well, the postman actually came five minutes before we were going there, but I'm, we're expecting this thing between uh, half past 11 and half past one, so it could come anytime now. Um, oh yeah, no, I, I get that feeling. I, I, I'm the same. I actually put up a sign, you know, because it was high risk COVID, saying, "Please leave the parcel in the porch." The amount of people that cannot read that sign and still ring the doorbell and then knock on my inner door is, yeah, it drives me mm. absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, we we had COVID. Um, my wife and I. Uh, yeah, I, I was a judge at this at the Cumbria Food Awards, and it was the ceremony, and we were on, yeah. on like a super spreader table, I think, because about eight of the nine people on the table got it. The only person who didn't get it was um, someone who'd already had it. Um, Dave Dave oh, Meyer's right. one of the hairy bikers, actually. I was sitting beside him, um, and it was yeah, bikers are good it was, for it that. Was fairly, it was fairly mild, uh, and I'm considered a little bit high risk, but probably not as high risk as a lot of people. Um, yeah, but when people would getting deliveries, um, we were, we would basically stand at the door and say, we've got COVID, so just leave it down there. And yep. it, it was only about a month, maybe five weeks ago, and, and, and the attitude had completely changed. People weren't that bothered. Mm-hmm. They would step back, and then the Amazon guy, because he was coming every other day or whatever, he was asking us how we were. We were just standing like – so we obviously had Omicron, which is very contagious, and he was just standing a couple of yards away having a chat. He wasn't – so he wasn't it, caring. Yeah, the COVID yeah. thing been a weird thing. I remember when it first started. The postman was ringing the bell and standing at the bottom of the street just to make sure. <laughs> it but now they're sort yeah. of licking the door handles. And all that. So um, yeah, yeah. No, I get I that. I get that really. Um, but I, I actually have a challenge for you. I wonder if you can take somebody from Shetland and stick them in your book. I think that would be a challenge for you. I don't think it would be a challenge at all. I could probably do it now. Um, I'm because <laughs> they were so the book, eccentric. The book, the book I'm writing now is actually not a Poe book. Um, oh, okay. It's in a new series, which unfortunately I can't really talk about because although the contract was signed last October, I think um, they're not. Actually yeah, I have that problem. With my they're, not, they're not actually going to announce it until um, the back end of summer, um, and I'm not really supposed to talk about it because they want to do a big press thing. Um, Do, don't it, you find that hard though being a writer when they turn around and say yeah you can't speak about X, Y and Z like I couldn't talk about signing my first feature or my first TV series 
because they were like, oh, well, we don't know if we'll make it. And I'm like, well, I'm doing podcasts, so can I talk about it? And after a little bit of nudging, they kind of let me away with it. But yeah, yeah I, guess, I, I hate it. I, I, I sort of know why. The, um, mm-hmm. the It's not my UK editor, actually. It, it's a new editor who w- wants it ready because it's still... Yeah. We're still going backwards and forwards in the editing. So it's quite a challenging process because the book, I, it was actually a standalone I wrote. Um, and I wrote it as a standalone, but it was bought yeah. as a series. So I've had to go back and rewrite it as a series. So I had to put a lot more flesh on the characters because they're going to be coming back. Yeah. Um, and also, I wrote the first, I wrote it in 2015, and I'm now editing it in 2022. So my writing has changed considerably. So there's there's that. So it's not, it always quite, does, not ready yeah. yet. Um, and she doesn't want to announce it until it is ready because as soon as she announces it, there's going to be um, people from the film industry. There's going to be foreign publishers. What and they all want to they'll want to see the finished product. Yeah, so that exactly. Makes yeah, makes perfect sense. And. We were hoping to get it ready for the London Book Fair, but um, it was it, it couldn't be done. So we're now in for Frankfurt, which is October. So it'll be announced before Frankfurt in October. But um, are you excited that, about the book fair? It, it, it's not it's not even set in the UK. This new series, um, but I'll oh, still cool. get a guy. For, I'll still get a guy from Shetland in it. <laughs> it'll be easy. Yeah. Just me. There's so many. I think because we're Vikings and we're so eccentric. You know, we all grew up with like learning how to make weapons and we grew up with this kind of women are supposed to be women. So we have to learn how to sew and cook and knit. And, you know, it's very um, gender focused in Shetland. And I, I kind of hate that for that reason. But every guy knows how to make a sword. Every guy knows how to make an axe. <laughs> Not all of them know how to fight, which is hilarious because, you know, you'd think Vikings could fight. No, not the case. Um and they play rugby and they play football. And I can tell you the football sucks, but the rugby's pretty good. I'll yeah. give them that. The rugby's pretty I, I mean, good. That's one of those things about the Vikings, this sort of myth of the Vikings that they're all these mad warriors. And obviously, there were a lot of Viking warriors. Most of ours are mad. Me, you know, that's so, true. Oh, that's just a bit too violent for me. I, I, I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. I just want to yeah. do some cave paintings or whatever it is Vikings did back in. Norway or Denmark or wherever they originated from. The tapestries, um, yeah, that, that tells the stories. But mm-hmm. I always thought it was crazy because what people don't realize is women were actually the most dangerous part of the Viking culture because there were shield maidens, but there was also the women at home. And there's a story in Shetland that I'll, I'll share with you. Um, it doesn't really get out of Shetland, so this is kind of like a, a breaking the silence speak. But Women in Shetland at one point were actually known for killing foreigners mm. or outsiders. So if you came into the island and they did not know you, so to protect the community because the men were away fishing, they were away fighting, they were away battling, they would actually kill soldiers and then feed them back to their comrades. <laughs> and then they would kill them and feed it to the next group that would come in, you know? So it was almost like a, okay, you know, they wouldn't eat the people they've murdered, but it was like guests would. <laughs> so it was almost like a way of feeding them up, waiting until their bellies were full and they were sleepy and they were drunk, do them in and then just do the next, you know, thing that happened. And that went on for hundreds of years, but it's not known about. 
And I, I find that fascinating. I mean, George R. R. Martin did it in Game of Thrones, didn't he? Hanya Stark. Um, yeah. Fed some relatives to, to the guy she was after. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it was so weird to me because women in Shetland, they're considered, you know, old fishwives. You know, we, you know, they would gut the fish and they would take the fish into the market and they would feed their their families but they would also feed the community mm. so they always had this kind of romanticism about Shetland women but there was those little pockets that were just really bat crazy that just mm. would do anything to protect their island from outsiders and that's where the xenophobia really started and it it's never really gone away up there um you know the sheriff came out and he made some very uncomplimentary um statements in that regard recently and he got pulled up for it uh, say that you know the only crime in Shetland is from outsiders, which is not true, by the way. It's no. not true at all. But um, he got lynched for that because Shetlanders don't want it to appear that we are xenophobic. Mm. Um, but I wasn't. I was one of these people that if you were an outsider, I wanted to come talk to you because you were interesting, mm. and uh, you weren't going to have the same, I would say, rehash stories that every other local had. And yeah, so I, I always thought that, but. There's something interesting about you never never knew. Yeah, <laughs> Might make you a bit nice. more wary about Shetland women. I'm <laughs> that crystal. I mean, I wouldn't go to Shetland anyway. It's um very long trip for you. Island yeah. and Cleves has put has ruined Shetland for me. She has. <laughs> she is. She's good at that. She's she is good at that. I must admit. Um, but yeah, I I got the title of Spitfire when I was I was growing up in Shetland because I. I was always very quick with my tongue and my tongue was very much like steel, which used to get me into quite a bit of trouble. But I was well known for it because I I was one of these people that didn't, I was straight to the point and I didn't like lying. And I would call people on it and that got me into trouble. And and my mother used to say, just go with the flow. And I'm like, I I can't, I'm not built that way. (laughs) So yeah. um, But yeah, no, I love that. So getting into the portion of books, um, as part of this podcast, what book have you read recently that stuck with you the most? Um, I, th- I, th- I think the, the, the book I've re- read recently that, um, well, actually, if we're talking about the, the sort of last couple of years, it's we we begin at the end by um, Chris Whitaker, which I thought was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I read yeah. it and I, I finished it, and I, I rang up Chris and said, "This is just mind blowing." Um, yeah, and I, I, as soon as I read it, I thought well, this is going to be my top five books of all time. It's just forever. This is one of wow. those books that's just going to be up there. Yeah, so that's that's the one. And if anyone asks me for a book recommendation, that's the book I recommend. And if they've read it, then I'll, I'll I'm I'm sort of stumped for the next one. I tend to just to go the the one I'm I'm reading. Yeah, well, um, I'll I'll recommend Fiona Cummings's new novel, Into the Dark Free. Yeah, I've got it. Um, because like so I'm doing. I went the- through it in like a week. I just yeah. blew through it. It was so good. I haven't read it yet. I, the, the last one I, I read when I was ten, the the the, the last one because I, I blurbed it for. Yeah. Um, and I'll 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 read when I was ten um, before we go into the um, event. Because I should actually reread Rattle and Bone Collector first because it's tied into that. I mean, it's it's one of those things is when, when you get to um, I don't want to say a certain status, but I mean when you when you when you excel a number of books. Um, yeah. Then you get more blurb requests from authors. Yeah, a lot, you, do, yeah. you don't have as much reading time as as you used to. Most of us got into writing because we're readers first, and now 
Yeah, exactly. You're, sort of, you're living the dream, as it were, being a writer, and you can't actually read as much because you're getting stuff sent to you, which and you're editing Edits your agent, and, and yeah. Um, it's a favour for your editor because that means she can then send one of her books to someone else, and so it's a whole like internet. Yeah, it's an exchange. The whole program, network yeah. of favours, basically. Um, yeah, but sometimes it does mean you, you get to read some books that you wouldn't ordinarily, and you and you get some absolute gems. Um, and that's how I found Fiona was was a request from an editor. For yeah, I, I I had a request. I already actually had um, the collector, I think it was, on my shelf anyway. Now, yeah. I got a request to read uh, when I was 10. I think I'd already read another one of those before before then. Um, so we went back, because my wife's a big reader of um, Fiona anyway. Um, so the, the last one I read for proof purposes was M- Michael Robotham's new one. Oh, um, okay. Now, I've read a lot of Michael Robotham, but th- this is a new series. It's the third in a new series, um, the Cyrus Haven uh, series. And it was absolutely spectacular. It was, it was seriously good form. Uh, I mean, unsurprisingly, he's sold millions of books and he's won the dagger twice. And, and, and I mean, he, yeah, he's exactly. a phenomenal writer. But and I suppose this is the privileged position. Instead of going out and buying the first two in the series, I just said to his editor, can you send me the first two in the series? Then they arrived within about three days. Pretty quickly, just, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, mean you, I, can't, I, I can't moan about being an author because you do get to do some cool things. You do, you got like... McKerran's new book um, arrived um, today in a big presentation box with a can of beer and some crisps and a whole big fancy marketing thing, which is... um, Which is handy because it gives you snacks while reading. It it absolutely does. uh, But I mean, these these are books I would have bought anyway. So, I mean, it's nice when your peers... Saves you money, yep. I send a new books to read. But Michael, we're both... Because I emailed him, I said, said, um, this is... Phenomenally good, Michael. Um, I yeah. don't know why you want me to blurb it because Stephen King and Michael Conley normally blurb your books, but he said no, no, absolutely. And he's he's reading mine in return, so I mean, it's all one of those things. So Michael Rebotham's new book is absolutely brilliant. It's out in June, I think, uh, which sure. is great because this is coming out in end of August. So this is when this will be out, um, which is great because it's like it ties it in. And it was so weird because when I when I launched this, I had no idea when I was launching. And then I got told, launch it in May. That gives you time to get everyone recorded. And then you're not like playing catch up and you can do your edits and you can do your writing, but you can, you know, get along with it. And it's so funny you say that because I get arcs, not that often, but I get arcs for like Shirley Kennan came the other day because I'm spotlighting her. Mm. And then I had Fiona Cummings. She sent me, I think I've had like three from her now. And it's weird because it's such an enjoyment for me and it's great because like for instance last night I've got a a World War II book that I'm doing um which is basically historical drama I don't really romanticize history because what's the point Mm. I think that's just doing a disservice so you know I I, I get authors that'll then say hey when your book's finished before you send it anywhere else let me read it first Mm. you know and that it's almost like a I feel like it's a badge of honor if somebody says that to you because that means that they're saying your quality and your views is important to them. And mm. that's so hard to find. But have you broken like a barrier of how many books you have in the house? Because like my husband went and counted on mine and I've hit 900 and I get the kind of look of please don't get any more. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, look. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be strict now and I'm trying to replace all my paperbacks of books I want to keep with hardbacks 
first editions yeah. and things, and, and I'm, I'm in the privileged position that I can that I can afford a lot of these books now. Um, yeah, paperbacks. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep less and less paperbacks um, as we go forward. So you can see my shelf behind. It's mainly hardbacks, but the lower shelves yeah. still do have paperbacks. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you could, and, and the weird thing with, with proofs. I mean, I've, I've, I must have like two hundred proofs. That I don't know what to do with because you can't you can't really put <laughs> them on because they've got big not for sale. No, you can't. No. You can't do the charity shops and just nope. throwing them away doesn't 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 feel right. So, um, but I've got. I'm, I'm with you on that. Proofs at the moment, I use them because my bookshelves behind are actually quite quite deep. So yeah. I use them as spaces behind the bookshelves, so I can so that like the book <laughs> so the books are all neat at the front. Um, so I get yeah. to sort of keep them, but not actually because um, have them on display. Because I mean, the 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 sort of um, I know proofs. Yeah, you can be a bit weird. I don't anal about proofs uh, about about books in total, can't you? I mean, yeah. Wife comes. I in mean, my and, husband's like gotten sick and tired of building me bookcases. He really has. <laughs> He's like, you need to stop. He's like, it's getting like ridiculous. But I love books and I, I find it so difficult to let go of them, especially if it's an author I love. I want the entire, every book an author's written. And I think um, if before I kind of car kit, I'll probably will have enough to start my own public library, <laughs> you know? Well, um, I mean, I'm, much I'm, to his hate. I'm trying to collect first edition Stephen King's, first edition Terry Pratchett's, um, any Ed McBain book I can get my hands on, I've got a few now. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I mean, Carl Heisen's one of my favorite authors, and um, I, I just bought all his in paperback. So I'm, I'm trying to replace all them with hardbacks. And, and it um, takes time, though. It does. It, it takes does, a long it, time. It's, it's not something I feel as though I need to rush. Um, yeah. I, I said to my agent because my agent owns Goldsboro Books in London, so one of the like the most famous bookshops in the world. Um, yeah. The biggest collection of signed first editions in the world, um, and I, I was saying I want to collect books, David. And he said, "Well, are you think in a bond?" He said, "A bond. If you if you want a bond, first collection, um, first edition." My husband but, shares his name, so yes, I know yeah, that one well. Going to set you back about forty grand. Um, yep, easily. Which, said, um, which is fine if you. Want, I'll, I'll start looking for you, and I thought, well. Yeah, I'm not that bothered about them. I mean, I've read the Bond books and I like them, but they're mm-hmm. not something I'm not bothered about. So I'll just, I think if you're going to start collecting books, which I am now, then you, you sort of find the ones that you actually really want. And at the minute, I want Carl Hyacin, Stephen King, and Terry Pratchett. Um, so they're, they're yeah. the ones. Well, I'm I'll, I'll do you a favor. If I get my crime novel published, I'll send you a first edition of that. Well, yes, as long as, long as it's a hardback. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I <laughs> and then that way you've got I, something I, I, a little I, bit special. Anything, so I mean, if it goes on the shelf, yeah. the shelf it normally stays on the shelf. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice hobby, isn't it? I mean, and it's something. Um, it's you, a nice hobby until you have to move house. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and then I mean, it's yeah. and then it's a bugger because you you look at all the boxes and you think, oh crap. Mm-hmm. So, who do you uh, wish that you could sit and enjoy if you had time? Like time was infinite is there like one author or is there a series that you'd actually just sit and spend your time reading and enjoying um terry pratchett's Discworld series um my husband's he, favorite he's, he's yep. the only author i read again and again and again um i'll, I'll my favorite authors i will reread from time to time but terry pratchett i'll yeah. read the entire series probably once a year i would say 
And I, I don't normally oh, mean to. I, I, I usually just think, right, my favourite book's Night Watch. I'm going to pick up Night Watch and I'm going to read that. And I do. And I think, well, I've got to read Jingo now. So I've got this weird order and it's not in the order that came out. Yep. I'll just sort of work backwards. I'll go Night Watch, then I'll go Jingo, then I'll do um, yep. oh, The Fifth Elephant and the uh, Men at Arms and then uh, Feet of Clay. And I'll, I'll sort of go backwards and I'll go forwards to snuff and. Then I'll work on the yeah. on the witches and things like that, and eventually I'll go on to the the death ones and the Hogfather and all that type of stuff. Um, and it, but that's good because it's it's it kind of reminds you of why you love it. It does. It does. You know. I mean, I mean, at the minute I'm rereading um, the Jack Reacher books. Uh, really enjoying. All right. I I um, haven't reread them for a few years now, so I'm, I'm reading the hard way at the minute. That's the one that starts off with. A I slur- just started watching the the TV version. I I, I, on, I thought you. Uh, series was was a really good adaption. Um, I did too. Yeah, captured the bit of fun um, that uh, Jack Richard. I mean, there's been a few. I mean, Bosch, the Bosch series on Amazon Prime is, was an excellent, probably the best TV adaption I've seen of a of books that I have read and and enjoyed. Yeah, and, um, absolutely superb. But the the Richard book is is really up there. Um, and the, the I must admit, I'm putting off the Anatomy of Scandal. That's the series now. Yeah, we, we we just finished it actually. It's good, but I've, it good? Book. I've I've not read the book, so I've got I, I can't I, I I don't know what people are saying that it, I I I don't know what kind of adaptation it is because I've not read the book, so I can't tell. But as a TV series, it, it worked. Um, it well, with your seal of approval, it. I'll be trying it. <laughs> yeah, my, my, it was it was my wife's choice. Um, she has a has a knack for just like choosing things at random that I've never heard of, and they're absolutely brilliant. So yeah. Um, well, I made the mistake of watching Tiger King because I got talked into it, and I regretted it so bad. Well, we started. <laughs> we got about five minutes in. We're like, man, this isn't for us. So I'll just. You know, I I stupidly watched it because all of my friends were like, "You have to watch it. You have to watch it." And I was like, uh, you know, like we, no, I we, just, we were sort of yeah. like that because we it, it took the pandemic for us to get our internet, so our, our broadband up to speed. So we we changed broadband providers. And yeah. we got it because we couldn't have had any of the streaming services before then because our broadband was so poor. Um, but we got that fixed because of the pandemic because we were in we we're, were locked down, stuck and in your house. So yeah. We 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 got Prime and Disney and all X Y and Z. Um, and I made the mistake of putting on Facebook. You got any recommendations? I've got like six thousand. <laughs> yeah. Tiger King kept on coming up. You must watch Tiger. It's hilarious. Yep. It's hilarious. Now put it on. I was like, man, nah. Mm. Yep. No, I went the same way. But have you seen Making of a Murderer? Uh, no, no. I, I would I've recommend it. It that. Cropping up as a recommended thing, but I've, it's one of those things we'll just our watch list on because we've got one, two, three, four streaming services now. I think. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if we've got Apple at the minute or not. Um, it's crazy but, how uh, many got, there is. We've got, I mean, we've got Disney mainly for me because I like the Marvel films and Star Wars and um, a few other things. So do I. Yeah. Um, but, but don't believe Prime. the Viking stuff you, from Marvel. You've got BBC iPlayer, which has got some phenomenal series on as well now. Yeah, so I don't watch yeah. this. There's, there's about 300 things. It's, it's, it's like a Kindle. You know, you have like 400 books on your Kindle, that, most of which. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that feeling. I'm always like trying to play catch up. Mm. Um, funnily enough, I watched the Shetland series. I struggled with it. I'll admit that. I did. I did struggle with it. And I think it's because they made the place look so 
dreary, like just so dark and gloomy and gray. And it's mm. really not like that at all up there. And, you know, because everywhere you look is bloody ocean. I'm not joking you on that. Oh, it, yeah. It's uh, quite suffocating. Yeah. I mean, my, and it, my I wife just felt, uh, read the books and because uh, she's a huge Anne Cleves fan and loved the yeah. series, although she was saying Perez is supposed to be Spanish and he's not a gingerhead Scotsman like he is in the, in the TV series. It just doesn't fit, um, yeah. But for me, I, I because I hadn't read the books, I was able just to enjoy it for, for it was a sort of... What it um, was, yeah. Not a particainly taxing drama. It's and not. It was, it was it's, ma- not. it's mainly based in family dramas of the past and things like that, which I, I get a bit yeah. sick of after a time. Um, I um, suspect the book. Well, I've read a couple of Ankle's books, and the books are superior in every way. Yeah, as the books are, are most, much, much better. Because yeah. you can't possibly get the complexity of a 400 page novel into a two hour TV show. You, you can't. Even no, a six hour really TV can't. show. Um, but no, with your your seal of approval, I'll definitely be trying the uh, the anatomy one. So yeah, 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 it was good. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. What author do you wish that you could sit down and have a conversation with, past or present, for any length of time? Um, well, I don't want to say Terry Pratchett again because I, I feel as I've read that much about him. I feel as though you know him. I, I, I would, I'll be too. I'll be. I'll be too in awe of them to actually get anything out. I think I would I would go for Stephen King. Um yeah. I, I think I would just love to find out how he how his brain ticks because he just flips genres yeah. at will and whatever he does is just phenomenal. Um it's like he touches I mean, everything event, he touches I mean, is two, gold, you know. Literary events for, for me. One's the new Stephen King book, so I'll take the day off. I won't do anything, I'll just read the Stephen King book. The new Michael yeah. Connolly book. Um the new McHeron book, um, anything by Chris, Chris. So maybe half a dozen authors who I will just stop everything to read. Um, uh, most of the authors, I'll just go into the pile and then I'll, I'll jiggle my pile depending on what I feel like. But Stephen King, I don't yeah. care what he's right now. He's got a new one out soon. It's about it's called Fairy Tale. Don't care. Could I bought be interesting. Reading the blurb, and there's there's very few authors I'll read. I'll just pre-order the book automatically. I'll cause yeah. I just yeah. I love I'm 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 somebody that doesn't read the blurb, mm. and I know this sounds odd, but if it's an author like I I know and I trust, I won't read the blurb. It has caught me out a couple of times, especially if they flipped genres and I haven't noticed that they've done that. Mm. And I'll be reading it and I'll be like, "What the hell's this?" Like, <laughs> not what I'm expecting. Mm. But that's what I do. Like, I pre-order. Like, if I do pre-order, which my husband kind of sits on me for. But if I pre-order, I don't read the blurb. I don't want to know. I just want to jump in from the very get-go and experience it for what it should be. Mm. So that that's kind of my way of doing it. But, I mean, yeah, that, a lot um, of people don't. That happened with Chris Brookmeyer. Chris Brookmeyer is a crime writer. But he wrote a yeah. science fiction book. Um, mm-hmm. And the reviews, a lot of reviews, clearly people who hadn't read the back of the book or even looked at the yeah. front of the book, which had a spaceship. <laughs> um which was a bit of a giveaway. This book's yep. book set in space. Is it? It's a science fiction book. Um, so actually, some yeah. of his um, friends got some stickers made up with their warning: may contain may contain science fiction on the front. Yeah. Um, because a lot of because he's got such a big following. He's a bit of a. Uh, I mean, he's he's a million fellow. He really is. Um, yeah. For the writer. Um, and a lot of people have just bought his book without actually 
reading, reading and then blur, yeah. out because it was in a genre that they don't read, which is a shame because it was still yeah. a crime book. It was just set on a space station. Spaceship, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. I, I would have been, I would have paused, but I would have, you know, clicked a little bit more sooner than that. Is there an author past and present who you would say influenced, inspired, and made you exciting, like excited to read, but also excited to write? I'm going to be boring and say Tau Pratchett again. Um, <laughs> You're not boring, don't worry. So, I mean, Tau Pratchett for me had, had, had it all, because if you, if you take out the fantasy element of his books, he's still a yeah. very, very clever satirist. Um, his characters yeah, are incredibly is. funny, incredibly well-written. Um, and certainly Sam Vimes, who is his protagonist, when he's writing about the Guards series. He's not the only protagonist, but he's the main one. Certainly there are characteristics of Vines that um, have sort of leaked into some of Poe's characteristics. Um, yeah. The other that, that's just that good influence. I admire yeah. is um, Carl Hyacin. Now he's influenced me. He's, a, he's, he's obviously, um, he's still writing now, although I don't think he'll be far from retirement, to be honest. He's certainly yeah. slowed down. But so his, his way of writing low life's, um, is up there with Elmore Leonard. I mean, it's just in- incredibly. He's just got an incredible way of writing very, very funny, yeah. nasty characters who characters, you know are going to yeah. come up, come a cropper at some point yep. in the book. Um, and I think that's what keeps a lot of us going: is waiting for the cropper that they're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to get, you know. Yeah, so um, I mean, yeah, I, man who has I a, totally who loses his hand in accidents, he gets a weed whacker put on instead of a false arm, and just think, just really, really funny. Bloody things, things, yeah. No, um, I, I, I and follow you on that schemes one. and things, which is always um, fun to read about. Um, so is there a book that you... It's that, it's, it's that humour, but I, I like the humour in books. I like humour in... Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And, and that's, yeah. um, the, I, I think if you add humour to a book, you can actually go a lot darker. It's, you can, it's yeah. to go darker in books because there's a, there's a laugh at the end of it sometimes which brings people back out. If it's just unrelenting darkness... Then it's quite a difficult read. It's quite hard to keep going. Yeah, I would. It I would is. agree you have with to that. Down things like that. And if you have a series which is just unrelentingly bleak, yeah. um, not everyone's going to stick with it. Um, which is why I've I've made Poe very sarcastic. So there's a lot of humour in that, and I've made Tilly just over the top honest. So she will say things that are purposely designed to make people laugh. She's not a comedy yeah. character, and she's never the butt of the joke. Um, but that is intentionally there to um, allow me to talk about some of the things I talk about, which is like people getting Quite dark stuff, alive yeah. and yeah. or some. I, of I think that's good. I mean, I that's about. that's what I've done in my crime. I've got this just this young detective that's attached to she- Hamish, um, sorry, Seamus, and he he just seems like at times he just gets himself in all these really wicked, stupid sort of situations. Mm. And it, they're funny, and it makes it lighter that, you know, you're following sort of Seamus, who's got this really struggle with his family and his past and and trying to, I, I would always say, um, make up for what he's done or what's, what's going on in the background. And it does, and it makes it lighter, especially with the fact that we're talking about you know, eight people that have been murdered in my book in one go. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 smashing you in the teeth and then kind of getting you through to the end. So I get that. Is there a book you wish you could crawl into and live? 
Um, I wouldn't mind living in Watership Down. Um, I'd want a oh, longer okay. lifespan than than the than a, than a normal rabbit, but that's my favourite childhood book. Um, yeah, it's a good and, one to live in. Yeah, yeah, it just seems like a nice peaceful way. I mean, I, I don't think I I think I'd like to be the seagull, he, he, the um, the one who swore. Because um, <laughs> rabbits have a pretty tough life. I mean, and that was yeah, expertly um, written in the book about how vulnerable they are. Um, but they have this lovely little community and they find somewhere nice on the South Downs to live. And um, yeah, I don't know if I want to be a rabbit actually, so I'm going to cancel that and just say somewhere else. But uh, no, Watership Down. That'll be it. That'll be a watership nice Down. You're going to stick with that one then. <laughs> I'll, I'll, just, I'll just be the one human who doesn't eat rabbits and just um, just lives among has loads of rabbit friends. And lives among them. Yeah, I like that. So is there a character you've read? in a like a series or in a book that you wish that they had continued on or you could read more about uh yeah i i i think chris brookmeyer uh sorry uh chris whitaker and we begin at the end duchess day radley yeah who's his um 13 year old girl protagonist um with just such an attitude she's just hilariously funny makes bad decisions but um just sticks with them just a, such a beautifully drawn character but he only he only tends to write standalones so you just get this nugget this perfect slice of um whatever's happening in her life between then and then and that's it that's all you're gonna get but i, I mean yeah. some of his characters I'd, I'd say chris i need more i need to know what i need to know that she's okay i need to know what she's doing now that type of thing um, yeah yeah no i get that yeah and i i, th- I get those books where i'm like please don't finish it there like you know you just end up falling in love with them and you're just like please please keep going so we're going into your writing stuff now um and this is the funniest part i always think of the show because you know writing is is our lifeblood and it's what keeps us alive and keeps us going so how do you go about getting your darker elements and getting your mind into that position of being able to write those darker storylines do you know, I, I, I don't actually know. I just I'm a <laughs> it's a question and a half, isn't it? I'm a professional writer, so I guess I just sort of sit down. I Get start writing it. because saying I'm not in the right headspace or um, I've got a writer's block is just you, you can't Does do it. Work? I mean, I have deadlines. I have a, a, a team as maybe, maybe like I don't know thirty people who are waiting for this book at some level, whether it's the printers at Clays or whether it's um, the editorial team or the marketing team or the publicity team or the sales Somebody's team. Somebody's always nudging you, they, yeah. they need that book. Um, so I, I don't have the um, I don't, I don't have the freedom um, to say I'm, I, I, I'm not in the right mood today. Um, so I, I, I think have your background as well. I, I, I've hit every deadline I've been set because yeah, it, I don't think it's fair not to because that messes up everyone else's timetables and schedules so i just crack on um the darkness do you think that's maybe like your training from the army and then your your job is giving you that drive internally to kind of make sure that you're always writing and you're always doing what you need to do um i i I don't know i mean i've i've always been in jobs that required a certain amount of discipline um yeah but I, i i just i i look at my books as as my role in the books i am one part of a big machine um yeah and the machine actually can't start work until i've delivered my bit so i don't i don't feel it i have the right 
to delay it. Um, and yeah. so that drives me. So if I'm a bit behind on what I would consider my word count, so I, I try and read at least a thousand a day, and, and, and I use these. And uh, the same, yeah. That quite yep. easily. But if I don't, then I, I will. And if I have to say stop for something, then I will try and make it up at the end of the week because I know if yeah. I start a book, I, I used to I used to start a book on the first of December every year because I thought yeah. I, can, I can get twenty thousand words down, have a nice break for Christmas, think about where the story is going, all that type of stuff, then hit it in the new year. And I will always, I know that if I start a book first of December, I can submit it to my agent back end of summer quite comfortably, yeah. and that gives us like two or three months leeway because I would have a first December deadline. Usually, yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd give myself a year to, to write it, and that was that. That that's fine. That's worked um, quite well. That's that's and, determination and real dedication and discipline. I don't know. I mean, if you're a full time writer, you should be able to write a book a year quite quite yeah. Um, I think it's when unless, you start asking for like six or seven, yeah, or, 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 yeah. or something, or it doesn't work, or you edit a gets it because actually I don't like this or we're publishing something incredibly similar we're going to need something else um yeah that that type of uh thing so it, it, it's 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 a self-discipline it's it, it's not um yeah it's not discipline imposed on me if I said to my editor I said look this one's going to be five months late she would have to say well okay as soon as you can because that's the only response that she that she could make because they're making a lot of money for them so it's not as if yeah. it's a failing series that they can just say right give your advance back and we'll just call it a day. They, they want more Poe books. Um, yeah, of course. So they're going to give me as much time as I want. But I'm also acutely aware that people do rely on, they have to plan their own work schedules. Around and, yours, and, yeah. And yeah, that's true. Book, think, book, I mean, for example, the Poe books, they have to, because they're all on audio, the time has to be booked in the studio and things like that. And if the book's late, then that yeah. studio time has to be cancelled, which has costs and delays somebody else yeah. who's going to the studio and all that type of thing. So um, I have there's a responsibility on me to to do my bit, um, and so I ignore the sort. You are of, the first author to say that, and I am so relieved that you say that because I always felt that way before I walked away. I took a two year break, but before I walked away, I always felt like I've got to get this in on time, and I don't care if I'm missing out on family activities. I have to go get this done because I don't want to muck up this year's list, and you know. I, I admire the ones that do six or seven books a year because I certainly can't do that many. But to me, I think if you don't have that responsibility in yourself, how are you supposed to expect other people to? And you're not just doing a disservice to yourself. You're doing a disservice to the publishers, a disservice to your readers. You know, it, it knocks on. It's like a domino effect. Mm. So for me, yeah, I, I think if you're not internally disciplined, it's... You're you're fighting a losing battle, I think, and that's that's not the way it should be. So, what inspired you to pick up the type of writing style that you did? I think we kind of covered this earlier, but if maybe you want to add more to it, um, I, I suppose the, the, I'm 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 sort of known for having quite a um, accessible style, and that that's yeah. probably been drummed into me from my time as a probation officer when I was writing those pre-sentence reports I was telling you about because they had to be understood yeah. by everyone from Crown Court judges all the way down to the offender themselves. So they had to be written in such a way that they made sense to everyone who was going to read them. Um, yeah. So I, I sort and of... that must be very off. difficult, yeah. 
It, it was, and but but you, I mean, the first few pre-sentence reports you have, the, the, your mentor in probation just says, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Um, yeah, and, and a bit like an you'd agent. also probably get into the habit um, of if you thought a point was worth making that was worth making five times. Um, so getting that getting that out of the habit. So once you've made your point, move on. Um, so yeah, and it, once you do that, then the pace automatically increases and. Um, I tend to overwrite to start with. Then when I'm trying to reduce the word count, I'll look for words to cut, and that again strips down the writing and makes the books faster and and, and things like that. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. So I've, it's just a style I've developed. It's funny actually because I'm editing a book I wrote in 2015 at the minute. So that's like seven years ago, and I was a much yeah. more wordy um, writer then. So it, it, it's quite interesting yeah. to see because when you're writing book to book, you probably don't notice it as much. When you look at when you're looking back seven years, you think, "Blimey, that's that's quite." Um, yeah, quite I've had that experience recently. Yeah, that. so I was able to take about twenty thousand words off off the book, which is which is a fair bit. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll know. Um, so yeah, yeah well, it, I, I had that recently. Just, I mean, yeah. and then you work with some pretty cool editors, and um, so everyone. And everyone you work with is trying to make the book better. So I always I, I take the view exactly. That, um, although I'm told it's my book and you do what feels right, I always listen to um, the people who are working on it. Because always nobody, listen to your nobody's editor. trying yeah. to make the, the book uh, worse. Everyone's trying to make the, make the book better. And also, it's a commercial business. It's got to make money. If it doesn't make money, then you can't keep doing it. Just so yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. Dying exactly for your right. art. Um, but starving, if, yeah, starving if, artists. If, yes. if your book doesn't make money, then you're not going to be allowed to do it for much longer because no one's going to publish it. Yes. So yeah. there's and a you're bit of starve, that. Yeah. You've, got, you've got to treat it a little bit like a business as well. You've got to have a, a bit of a commercial mm-hmm. head on it. It sounds awful, but, I mean, every author does it. Um, yeah, we do, so yeah. There's it, it, that. So, I mean, you sort of you, – you find a voice. You find a voice that you're happy with. Um, you, you hope it's not too similar to someone else's voice. Um, yeah. I mean, I've had to find another voice because I'm writing a series set in America at the minute. So I've had to find a completely different voice, which is quite interesting. I've done it now. So I was able to did go it feel, edit, in, edit in the first Did it feel like a large leap? Second. Sorry? Yeah. Did it feel like a large leap going from a sort of English voice and English sort of attitude it, it, to then obviously the American? I, I almost exclusively read books set in America. Oh, so right. Okay. It felt, quite, it felt quite natural to me, actually. Um, but... So I've developed. I've got a new voice for the new, for the new series, and then um, when I go back to, so I'll finish the book I'm writing now, which also includes editing the first one. Um, so I'm writing the second in the series now, and then I'll go back to writing the Poe book, and it'll probably take me a bit of time to get back into the way of writing the Poe books. Um, yeah, that, course, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't spend too long doing it because, like I said, it's a business and people are waiting for things. So um, I, I can't yeah. just spend two weeks. Going to need to find my inner Poe. Um, oh, yeah, no, I know that. And then it'll come to me, and I can fix up the first monkey chapters in the first yeah. edit. I mean, that, that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I get that because um, see, if I'm jumping between series, I know I don't have the time, so everything's broke down beforehand, so it's easier for me to sort of jump back in. Mm. So when you when you put your book together or when you write your book, is it a movie that you see in your mind, or is it a jigsaw puzzle that you kind of have to put the pieces together? Um, it's, it's a good way of saying it, actually. I, I sort of, um, the way I work is I visualise a scene and I describe pretty much what's in what's inside my head. Um, yeah. Which gives me a, quite a cinematic um, 
feeling sort of, sort of yeah feeling and uh, sort of the way i sort of write is, is is quite cinematic which which is handy but um i know that's not the only way but i i i i write it chronologically so i um start on page 1 and i just work my way into page 400 whatever. i have to do it that way as well i cannot I, I do this whole jumping around thing using like scrivener or something where you write one chapter then you can move it that was a thought that wouldn't work for me so i pretty much know doesn't work for me either, so I feel you on that one. <laughs> I don't know how the book's going to end, and I know a few of the key things I want to happen, and I always know what's going to happen in the next chapter because I'm working out in my head as I go along. So I, I never get lost. I never get to the end of one page and go, I've got no idea what to do now because the way I'm... Yeah, way I'm, no, I, I, I get I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm nearly always seeding things for future books in the current book anyway because I'm, I'm always thinking ahead of the future books. Anyway. Is there a character that you have had that stayed with you the longest um <laughs> probably probably it's um, not an easy question is it <laughs> probably from my first series actually there was a character called um steel eye stan who was a, a bouncer who'd lost an eye in a yeah. fight and he was he was he kept on losing his prosthetic eye so he, he when he went out, <laughs> yeah. he, he put a ball bearing in instead. Um, so he got called Steel Eye Stan. He uh, was such a fun yeah. character, right? I've actually brought him back, and he's in he's in the post series now. So he's, he's actually jumped series. Um, and That's bit, cool. So yeah, he, he's a fun character, right? He's a nasty piece of work, and every book he's in, he's going to get beaten up by someone. <laughs> he's going to get hurt. Yeah, will be a, become a bit of a standing mm-hmm. joke. But so yeah, so he was in the second fluke book, but he's now he was he, he was in Dead Ground, I think. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've got a book out um, in in June called The Botanist, and people will talk yeah. to me about it and they'll ask me questions about it. The chances are I won't be a member because I've written three books since then. The way that my publisher, yeah, worked, no, I'm the same. Once yeah. eighteen months in advance, and by then I've I I've moved on. Forgotten so, it, yeah. The people who have read The Botanist know The Botanist a lot more. The, the know the book far, you. far yeah. better than I do. It's just one of those weird. Oh, that's a doorbell. No, I do that too. I do. No problem. So, so where I what I do is um, particularly bad. I delete my books as I as I finish writing them, and that for me is the only way that I can do it because when I come back, I am essentially the. The first reader to read it and it's good and it's perfect so I like doing that and I think what a lot of of Mike's saying is is really good writing stuff because you need to almost as a writer keep going forwards you cannot always look back at your stuff and look back at your old stuff and think ah okay you know I I could have done this better or that better writers are very much people who have to continually move forward which is funny because my own personality i i always look back at my you know my life in a in a strange sort of adventurous way and i look and i think of all the things i've gone through so for me yeah that that i would say is probably the biggest that myth of writers that we you know we linger in the past and we linger in um you know different scenarios whereas for us it's all about kind of moving forwards and and coming up with those ideas that are really important um to keep our keep our minds going keep our activity going and i think that's longevity as well you need to be able to do longevity and to um to think over it and yeah that's good so 
for you is there um a character you wish you could write more about um so i've got i've got a lot of editorial control at the minute so um i can pretty much That's write good. who i want to to write about so my new contract um doesn't actually specify which series um which my agent that you can do, yeah. Was, was keen, yeah. so it's um, hasn't actually been announced yet, but it's for X amount of books um, over yeah. X amount of years, and it's up to me what I write. Um, I will take people's views into. I mean, I don't want to just leave one series um, just to, just to watch. Yeah. So I will write more polls certainly. Um, I, I really like writing the post series. I, I, I'm really enjoying the new series, and it's it's quite refreshing. Um, yeah, because I, I've written six poe novels on the trot. Yeah, um, nine short stories and a novella. So it's a lot of yeah. just being inside one person. Of course, and yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice to write the new series. It's just a little bit of a break. But yeah, I really yeah that's the important I, thing. I really do enjoy writing the post series. I like writing poems until that. I like putting them into scrapes. I like giving Tilly an impossible problem to solve. I like having someone, some sort of a, a, a vicious dickhead that Poe can kick back at and all these things that um, the readers love. I, I I enjoy doing that as well. So I can pretty much write yeah. what I want. You need a character like that, though. You you know, for, for a series like that, you need somebody to be almost contradictive to your to your lead guy to make it interesting and keep yeah, the conflict like it, it, and it, it, it comes back to conflict and obstacles and all that type of stuff but I really enjoy yeah. writing the Poe books and I, I enjoy I, I enjoy the, the scenes where it's just Poe and Tilly just chatting about nonsense so in Dead yeah. Grand <laughs> there's a scene where um, Poe's trying uh, Tilly is trying to explain the rules of Muggle, muggle Quidditch to Poe and it goes on about <laughs> half a page and it didn't yeah. really do anything with the story, but it, it certainly added something to their relationship. Humor. So it stayed in. Yeah. It, it was quite a nice little sweet scene. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just things like that, which are always... Um, is there a no- technique you've tried that's worked really well for you, but is there a technique you've tried and you thought, what was I thinking? Uh, no, I, I, I... When people ask me what's my one tip, I'll say to... When you finish writing at the end of the day, don't write. And then such and such went to bed. Stop in the yeah. mid- stop in the middle of an action scene or a bit of tension or something because then you can pick it up yeah. immediately, um, and you don't need to warm your brain up. But I tend to not do that myself now. I tend to just to um, when my wife says what time are you going to finish, I'm say I'm just going to get this chapter finished, or I'm just going to get this scene finished, or I'm just yeah. I'm just going to finish describing this. Um, for example, tonight today I, I will I'm, my job to this describe this really rough um sort of what you call a dive bar in america i suppose a really rough bar yeah in the uk yeah. and that's that's what i'll do today when i've done that i'll i'll i'll, I'll stop um technique wise i i've been doing the same since book one that works so i work out of a lever arch file um which has yep. a collection of random ideas and lines of dialogue and bits of research i've done before i start the book yeah. i'll put it all into um, the order, the, the the order I think it'll probably come out in the book. Yeah. Then start writing it. If additional scenes then occur to me, um, I won't put them into that draft. I'll just make. I'll, I'll start 
um, a new lever arch pile of things to go in the second draft and then so on. Eventually, I'll have yeah. nothing to go in. And that's when I know I'm done. Um, and that's when I do my final thing, which is just to print it off and read it out loud. And then once yeah. I've read it out loud, it goes to my wife who then says, Beck, whatever she says. Goes through it with a fine tooth yeah, comb. Yeah. Goes, then it goes off to my agent who makes editorial comments sometimes, sometimes he doesn't. Um, then it goes to my editor. It's interesting, my editor, actually, because my first book, The Puppet Show, had two pages of quite in-depth structural changes to want to do from the names of characters to huge chunks of yep. um, huge scenes. Which I know those like. pages well, yes. Or, or she, or she didn't know. <laughs> In the botanist, the only thing she said was um, there was a lazy bit of writing where I said um, somebody snarled. Um, so that's just lazy. Oh, you got pulled up for that, yeah. All I did was I just changed. I, I, I added an exclamation mark to what he said, and I just yeah. took up the dialogue time completely. She said, "That's yeah. Why didn't you do that in the first place?" That, so I went from like, that, yep. big structural notes to pretty much nothing, and that's because I'm, I'm, I understand myself better now. I understand what they want, and yeah. I, I know what the readers enjoy reading because it's what I enjoy reading. So I'm getting better as a writer. So my yeah, it's to do with your passion and and, and that is, coming through is. the page, and that's that's where you're really good at, and that's what you're. I mean, I think you're really good at is putting your passion in the words and in the page, and it com- it really translates through. And I think that's what gets readers excited, and they that's why they go out and buy your book because it's you know if you can translate that passion into into the written word, then you know you're going to win every time. So moving into life. So this is about you and your life outside of writing and all the the great joy of that. What's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? Where do you go? You see, I I do get asked this occasionally, and I think it's a weird thing because I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. I actually find it stressful when I'm not writing. Um, <laughs> which sounds weird to other people, but I yeah. get that. Yeah, well, I get that. I I don't feel the need to distress when I'm. I I think it would be a bit um. I don't know, a bit weird for me to say that I've got a stressful job because I clearly haven't. I absolutely love what I'm doing. I look forward to. I I I, I try to keep it to Mondays to Fridays, so we're gonna have a weekend. Um, yeah, but by it doesn't always work that way though. My my mind yeah. is on what I'm gonna start writing on. Sorry, I'm going to have to go now. Oh, no. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I'm just expecting one more puzzle. Um, <laughs> it's always that way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I do the, I, I like cooking. Um, oh, that's a good I've, one, I've, yeah. I've always liked cooking. Um, so I, I I spend a little bit of time thinking about what to what to do and how and what ingredients I'll need and, and that type of thing. Um, yeah, I had a that's spring- a good way to step away, though. Yeah, yeah, I had to spring yeah. a spaniel up until um, September last year. Unfortunately, he died. Oh no! But so I, 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 I um, was taking him for a walk every day. Um, I, I, I still tend to go out for a walk every day. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably go for a walk this afternoon. Um, it's good for clearing your mind and, and getting those I do a lot of things. I, I, I solve a lot of problems I didn't even know I had plot wise. Or I'll come up with yeah. perfect lines of dialogue, or I've just written something in the morning. I think actually that's a much better way of saying it. So a lot of people yeah. see me out from a walk. My head's in my phone, but I'm not actually just like on Facebook. I'm actually emailing myself what I, what I just thought. So I'll come back from a walk and I'll, I'll send myself like seven emails. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> I have a I, notebook. I, that's I like, what I do. Um, oh, I suppose like the usual things. I like going to the pub. Um, yeah, my local, very normally. Um, my wife and I uh, like going out for meals. Um, and we, 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 I suppose, foodies. I don't like that term, foodies, but we, we do enjoy... We enjoy all sorts of foods, but we do and we like we like the finer um, the, the Michelin star stuff. And we're in Cumbria, which has more yeah. Michelin stars than anywhere else in the UK outside of London. So we're quite we're quite blessed with nice things to try up here. Yeah. Um, and also that's really uh, good, though. Yeah. Concerts. Uh, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm still you excited. Going they're that. starting up again. Yeah, yeah. We've been to a few recently. Um, I still tend to like the bands I used to like when I was um, a young kid. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I've got a stiff little fingers T-shirt on at the minute. Now I've been a stiff. I had noticed. Yeah, I did. Since I was about fourteen years old. Now the, the singer Jake Burns is actually a reader of mine. He got in touch just to say I much <laughs> enjoyed my books, but he lives in Chicago. He couldn't get them, so um, yeah, could, could I send them to so my publicist and books? And now he invites me backstage at the concerts and all these my weird things. Um, yeah, that's the best. Like I, I get that with the wrestling if they're in town and stuff. I sometimes get asked to come for dinner or I get asked to go backstage. And uh, to it's me, that weird, you know, it's, it's a good a mark. Thing, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I had um, Dave Myers, one like one half of the Harry Bikers, out the blue, emailed me uh, last week just to say how much he was enjoying my books, which was uh, with I thought well, my life has changed considerably. But yeah. um, I'm trying to think. Well, so there was distress. Well, I don't like the word distress, but what I do in my sort of time off. And, uh, the, and the writing festivals, um, I, I intend all the big ones and I enjoy catching up with all the writers because a lot of my friends are writers now. Um, yeah, it's really, weird really, how we congregate, yeah. yeah some, <laughs> some, some really good friends I've got. So, so we're going down to London um, for the launch of The Botanist um, and we'll, we'll spend a few days down there and we'll catch up with a lot of people and we'll go out for dinner with a few people. And um, then in... Yeah, off- that's amazing. October, I think it is Capital Crimes on, so we'll go down there and we'll see a whole bunch of new people as well. And Harry, so do you go to Bloodfest? Sorry, or do you go to the um, the crime one in Stirling every year? Is uh, that one bl- you attend? Uh, Bloody Scotland. I, I'm not going this year, and I didn't go last year. Um, I I've been a couple of times. I I, I did a panel with Peter Robinson. Um, yeah, the last time I was there. Um, it's it's a good festival. I, I I enjoy it, but to me at the minute because I'm I'm committed to this new contract, I'm having to claw back a bit of time. Um, yeah, of course. So yeah, I would not. I would usually go to bloody Scotland and I would go to Crime Fest in Bristol. So I'm giving them, those two a miss this year. So I'm just going to be doing Harrogate and. Capital. Well, you're over up this way. I will take you out for a coffee because I like to do that if writers are coming up my way, and there I always feel like you know it's a good thing to have. Yeah. There is a crime. No, no, I'm in Sterling now. So oh, I, I deliver... oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm oh, so even though yeah, yeah. that, that, that yeah. whole thing about moving, yeah. Um... Yeah. Um so I, I live in Sterling. And it's so weird because Bloody Scotland happens literally five minutes up the road from me. Um so yeah, I like to I always say, you know, the door's open for a cupper and you know, go out for a cupper and just sit and chat. Because it's great to catch up with writers because you you end up feeling less alone and you end up feeling less paranoid a little bit because you you know it's sometimes very isolating to be to be a writer i guess the next question is really not gonna really stick in with you because you're not you know writing's your life so i was going to ask what hobbies do you enjoy or ones that you wish that you could explore if you had more time um well i mean writing was my hobby um (laughs) and it it was weird actually because when i replaced my hobby with a job 
So I was writing when I came yep. back from work, and then suddenly I was writing all day, and I had I had nothing to do at night, so it was weird. Um, because I I would get home from work and have a quick wash, and I'd write for a couple of hours, and I'd have my tea, and then blah blah blah, and then I'll be absolutely knackered. Yep. Um, I don't know. I I. I, I, if I was gonna, if you're gonna force me into a corner at gunpoint, which I rather hope you won't, but I, I would say I would like to be. I will. A, don't worry. <laughs> I would. I would like to sort of specialize in one um, culinary bit of culinary magic. So maybe Indian cookery or Thai cookery or yeah. something, something like that. Something or just to get better at something that I that um, that you make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what that would be. I think I'd probably choose Indian cookery if I had to do one. Although the, I, I think Chinese food um, is so varied, you could have a different Chinese meal every night and feel as though you were having something different. Whereas Indian food, you, you, you're going to have a curry, which I'm, I'm, I'm totally happy with. Actually, I can eat curry every day. But, um, <laughs> I, th- I think that's like a weird myth that's kind of been created around English people that they really love curry. Um, but from my experience like it's such a everyone has such a wide variety of tastes in England because there is so much choice that it's not just like one thing anymore it's there's so many choices in every town that everyone's kind of spoiled in that regard because there is in you know there's Indian restaurants there's Thai restaurants there's Chinese restaurants there's Japanese there's sushi bars do you know what I mean it's so wide now we can really just get lost in it there's a German restaurant in Sterling isn't there Um, yeah yeah, and there's yeah, some fantastic yeah, Italians. Right. Yeah. I mean, the 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 food scene in um in the UK is pretty pretty special now. Um, yeah, it there's is. a lot of street food, which which is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of craft beers as well. I mean, it's if, if I think about like 15 years, I mean, if you wanted a gin and tonic in a bar, you were going to have Gordon's or you were going to have Bombay. Um, yep. And now that you've got like hundreds and hundreds of things to choose from. If you want a if you wanted a beer, you were gonna either have John Smith's or you're gonna have Foster's now. Yeah. You've you've yeah. got um, these incredibly small niche craft breweries. You've got think the some of the bigger ones which have done so well, they're now sort of big brands like Brewdog and and, and, and things. Yeah. So it's 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 a really nice time. Well you're to you're be. you're talking to someone that grew up in Shetland who Shetlanders actually bought their own rum distillery company in Jim, in sort of the Caribbean mm. and then shipped it to their own islands because they were, you know, they wanted a Pacific type of rum. And, you know, you look at the Shetland alcohol scene, it's exploded in the last sort of 10 years or so because you've got Shetland whiskey and you've got Shetland beer and you've got mm. Shetland vodka and you've got Shetland gin and you... And I mean, it's absolutely crazy now that the alcohol that's coming out of Shetland. But what people don't realize is Shetland was originally a smuggling hub, right? So all those tunnels, smuggling tunnels still exist. They're collapsing now and there's people that are falling into them because they don't know that they're there. But these are actually part of the fabric of Shetland was alcohol smuggling. And I think that's, you know, it just is now nice to see it not being smuggled in on boats. It's nice to see it, you know, for sale and, and people getting credit for the stuff that they're making. And it's, it's regulated and it's all kind of done the right way. And I think that's that's really incredible. But I would recommend you try the Shetland, uh, the Shetland beer. I think you would actually enjoy it. I, 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 if, if it's for sale 
over here, then I'll have a... Oh, yeah, I'll, it's I'll, for sale all over the UK. My publisher yeah. is always sending me champagnes, uh, or was, but I sort of kick back and say, well, I don't really drink that. So they tend to send me beers now, which which is nice. And yeah. my wife buys me these, like, craft ale selection packs from all these little niche providers. So I, I get a selection of all sorts of things. So I'll probably add some. Um, and I'll give everything yeah. a go. I mean, Brewdog did a Palmer Violet beer at Christmas, which was um, a spectacular failure. Um, yeah, I would imagine not, it would not, be. Not, not everything works, but most most of most of it does. Yeah, I'm see. I'm a I'm a coffee connoisseur. That's that's my uh, my Achilles heel, unfortunately. Well, I've got um, a coffee named after my my characters. Um, the uh, John Watts. Um, I'll have to try it. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link after. Um, it's a yeah. really nice. It's a, it's a blend, but I mean, it's what we it's what we drink now, just because it, it's weird. It's, it's actually called Washington Pub. Um, that is so cool. Was yeah, that, was in my in my books. Poe went into their one of their cafes, um, so they were like quite excited about that. And the, to celebrate Dead Ground last year, they they brought out a, a line of Poe coffee, thinking it would just be for the launch, but it was so popular, people were buying it from all over the world. Um, so it's now a permanent. So permanent um, thing I, yeah. yeah that's that's awesome like i know for me i mean i went to la and la is a huge city and i went there mm. in 2016 and i was in riverside and for me that like i got recognized in la and that's like the place of stars and all mm. these big names and i'm not a big name i'm chris you know i was crystal mccarrington i'm not a big name but i got recognized at warner brothers and I got this VIP tour that was like completely different to everybody else's because I got taken in to see the Big Bang stage. And, oh, you know, I knew so much that the the tour guide was like, why am I doing the tour? You should be doing it. <laughs> but it was, you know, it just happened that we walked into a fan of Marie's World and it was super ass crazy to think that's had an effect on these people. And I mean, I took a very basic idea from Rui as well. I took twin sisters. And if you could imagine your brother taking your personal journals and your writing material and publishing it for the world to see, your personal mm. inner thoughts. That's what Layla does to her sister. But she has no idea the knock-on effect that that's going to have on everybody else's lives. You know, So her sister, who's made her name, gone all through this way of doing it, ends up having to go back to wrestling. She fought her way out of wrestling and then she's dragged back in because she's got mm. to protect her sister. So for me, it was such a, a small idea, but it completely changed the game for sports romance. And I hate mm. the fact this class is sports romance because it's not, it's a drama. Mm. But to me, working with like Joey Legend and working with these wrestlers, it was really nice to kind of humanize them a bit and take some of the myth away from wrestling. But at the same time, it's such a powerful storyline and it's not done. It's not done anywhere else. I'm the only writer in the world to do it. And that was a bit of an uphill battle and it still is most days. But I admire that because I I took a chance with it and I ran with it. When a lot of other people would have taken a look at something like that and said, hey, no, sod this. Um, so yeah, no, I I get that. So... <laughs> I have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate it. What is the thing that makes you kind of go, oh, I like the smell of these roses. I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm getting old. <laughs> That's not an excuse. 
<laughs> I'm not letting you away with that one. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I it's tend a good question. Work, I, I tend just to work in big blocks, so I'll, I'll I'll work all out until I've got a draft done. Then I'll have a break. Yeah, um, and I'll sort of um go away for breaks and things like that. Or we'll, my wife and I will plan a few days away. Um, or or I'll have an enforced break. So I was um doing a crime festival in Barcelona in February. Yeah. So that was sort of a nice way to bookend things. And once once you're there, once you've done the press interviews that they need you to do. And they've basically, you know, my Spanish publisher was publicist was saying, "This is where you need to be on such and such a date. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's an event tonight, which will come pick you up. After that, it's free time, so you can do yeah, what, enjoy the place. You yeah. So you do get a time, you do get a bit of time, just so when you actually physically can't get back to your computer to write, so you got no choice but to just uh, stop thinking Slow about down. it. So a lot of it yeah. is why we tend to go away because if I'm at home. And I think of something, then I'll just go and write it. Um, doesn't matter what time it is. Yeah. Um, whereas, so yeah, I, I I don't tend to consciously take breaks. The sort of enforced upon me. Yeah, um, I I had to when when my disease got bad. I actually spent a lot of time writing in hospital. <laughs> um, and if anyone knows anything about writing in hospital, you don't get peace and quiet to write. Um, and that was like that was what drove me was. I spent like the past year in and out and I wrote a hundred thousand words in my stay because it was like, if you've got insomnia and you can't do anything else, you are stuck in a bed. (laughs) You kind of go a bit stir crazy. So I wrote and I kept writing and it got me through, I would say probably some of the more kind of horrific things I had to deal with at the time. And for me, when I came out, I took time to convalesce. Because there was nothing worse than I would get into a writing flow and then because of everything I was recovering from, I'd end up falling asleep. Mm. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, fuck, you know, what am I doing? And then I, I would have to start again. So in a way, my condition was like, no, you need to take two weeks or three weeks to try and get over this series of operations you've had. So for me, you know, even when I'm in a hospital or if I'm on a book tour or if I go anywhere, the computer goes with me. So I don't really have that excuse to shut down at night and, you know, not do it because the computer is there and it's, it's awful temptation. And also I do not recommend writing in ICU. No, I, I can imagine. Um, I, I spent six months as an inpatient in hospital back in, look, yeah. back in 2004. So uh, I wasn't writing then, but I, I, I wouldn't have come up with anything decent. I know that. I, I mean, I if I took my computer everywhere, then I would write everywhere, which is why I don't take my computer everywhere i yeah. write in my office and that and that is it um i tend to write monday to friday yep. if i'm writing at the weekend it's because there's a there's a there's a deadline or i've got yeah. um press things to do which i don't want to i mean I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a draft and it's going well and i don't want to take time out of it to do press stuff press. But like interviews yeah. so I've, I've got an article to do for the crime association um 450 words by middle of may yeah so I will do that the week. I'll probably do that this weekend, actually. Um, yeah. Rather than, rather than do it during the week. Um, do you find so, yourself taking the computer to bed with you sometimes? Like, no. do you get into such a flow that you take it with you? No. I I um, it's 
it's a it's a laptop, but I'm using it as a desktop. So it's all wired up. I've got a separate keyboard for it. So um, it would be a bit of a hassle for me to take it. Um, and that, that's intentional. Yeah. I I've got my iPad. If I want, if I if I think of something, then I'll just jot it down as an email, or I'll scribble it into a notepad, and I'll um, print it off before I go to bed, so it's ready for me in the morning. Um, so I oh, um... once I finish for the night, that 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 that's it. It doesn't mean I'll stop thinking about it, but it means no. You can't. You can't. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not physically writing it anymore. Which um... yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've gotten ideas that, like, right in the middle of the night, and I'll sit up and I'll be like, ah, I've got an idea. And Ian kind of does this whole, you know, when you're driving in a car and you do the seatbelt thing, <laughs> and you yeah. stick your arm out. So he does that to me, and it's like he sticks his arm out and forces me down and goes sleep, <laughs> you know, because he knows that if I if I stick with it too long, I'll end up getting up and writing, and then I don't mm. sleep, and then I crash. So he's almost gotten used to the whole sticking his arm out and going, no, you're going to sleep. You're going to stay there. You're going to sleep. <laughs> so because I get so obsessive when I'm writing something and I get so into it, um, he really has to remind me of things like, go eat. Mm. Have you had a shower today? Go shower. <laughs> like He's almost like my, my personal reminder of, don't get lost in what you're doing, which I think is crazy because there's not many writers nowadays that can do that or does do that. So, yeah. Well, my final question for you before we have our word game is, what's your favorite place to curl up in during the day? Do you go to the garden? Have you got a cafe or reader's note? Where do you go just to, to read and enjoy your book? Um, I've got a nice garden, so if it's the weather's right, then I, I will sit in the garden. And because um, my wife basically, work, my wife works for the book business as well, because there's we've got so many yeah. twenty five foreign publishers now, and there's a lot of stuff that I was having to deal with that she now deals with. She does all the website, and obviously she was liaison with you and all the, all the, all this. She's amazing. Yeah, I, I really, stuff. I really like her. Um, so yeah. when it's we, we'll both. Um, read in the garden but I've actually got a reading nook which um was a, a part of the living room which had a dining table in actually until we realized that we never actually <laughs> used it apart from Christmas because we yeah. just sort of sit in front of the tv with trays like um a pair of like tramps um no I do too oh, don't I, worry well, so I, I, we bought this really nice bookcase and I've got my some of my special first editions like my signed book from Bruce um my signed Bruce Dickinson autobiography and a few other special yeah. things like that um and i've got one of those um expensive chairs that sort of you lean back on it's got a separate footstool and i've got a nice lamp so there that's 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 my reading that's where i that's where i tend to read um although it's so comfortable if i'm tired i will just fall asleep it's it's, it's weird <laughs> i do that I could, too I could yeah never fall asleep unless i was in bed but that that one little chair we've got now um, so yeah, so that's, try where the, um... that's, that's where I read. But the garden's always my, my my garden will be my preferred place every every time. Yeah, I, I would as well. But I'm in Scotland, so the weather's not always that great. So garden doesn't always get like Look, top I mean, priority. I'm, I'm only nine miles from Scotland, so I'm not. It's not much warmer here. You get more rain than we do because you're in Carlisle. Every time I come to Carlisle, it's raining. <laughs> it was snowing last I, week. Yeah, like I came down to do a book tour, and it, we had been told it would be really nice that day and we got drenched going from the bookshop to the car <laughs> the two of us were running like lunatics trying to get back to the car we just got drenched but yeah carlisle was my favorite stop on my book tour um 
there and uh, Durham was my two two best places that I did sales. So I was quite surprised. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do a lot of work with Durham because um, there's a bookseller in Waterstones called Fiona who is a massive Poe and Tilly fan. So, so every, she was a fan of mine as well, yeah. I'll 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 talk to her. Um I um <laughs> so every time I got a book out she wants me to do a signing or an event. So I'm there Saturday after the botanist. So it's always yeah. my first stop after the book's out. Um I must admit I, I'm looking forward to getting back to doing tours and signings. I, I must admit my first place to go back to will probably be Durham, just because I love the atmosphere in that shop. And also she brought me coffee. Like instantly she just was like, What's your coffee order? And I'm like, yeah, just, I like you. Bringing <laughs> <isn't> me coffee. <laughs> uh, I have such a low bar for that. So yeah. <laughs> so here's the word game now. Right. Uh, I I chose a boxing theme for you. Um, I yeah, think my father-in-law actually has a lot. Boxing, of... So this will be fun. I know. It's like my father-in-law spent a lot of time in England, and for some reason he adores boxing. So every time I think of really talented English writers, I always think you guys are hanging out at like boxing matches for some reason. I don't know why I get that image, but I do. So that's a, bit, I apologize. That's a, that's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I mean, you wouldn't think of a five foot one Scottish girl hanging out at a wrestling show. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of a. Uh, yeah, we all get weird sort of impressions. So the first word is boxing gloves. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, straight away, I'm really the, throwing um, you for a loop on this one. Yeah, I mean, gloves off comes comes off. I mean, that that's the thing, which, which is a phrase that I mean, which which is a yeah. sort of idiom now. So as in, right, that's it. Things are about to get serious now. So I mean, you could. Um, I, I can relate that to any number of books where um, the protagonist has um, put up with as much as he can. So a lot of these spaghetti westerns, and and that obviously translates to a lot of yeah. um, a lot of books as well. Because a lot of the Jack Reacher books in particular, because the Jack Reacher books are westerns, really. Um, yeah. So any 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 one of the Jack Reacher books um, where he's like, right, right, it's... right, right. But now I'm just going to go and kill everyone. Yeah. See, so yeah, like. I when I wrote that down, I thought of Yellowstone. Have you seen that yet? The Yellowstone series. Well, I've, I've seen a bit. I'm watching Outer Range at the minute, which is just starting Amazon. Prime. I'm about to try that. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I yeah, we watched Yellowstone. I, I and we the loved first it. I think the third one's up now. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean Yellowstone is very brutal, and it's yeah, it's kind of like you. You go to that ranch, but you never really leave the ranch. And I think it's like the end. I call it the end of the world ranch in my mind. It's yeah, it's really worth watching. I think you would you would actually yeah, enjoy yeah. it. It's I, three I, seasons, I, I, I so yeah. The first one, but then you, you sort of um, yeah, overwhelmed with choice. I, I suppose. I mean, I yeah, like that's what happens. Four, does, yeah, we have three channels, and one of them was shit. Um, <laughs> oh. I know that feeling growing up with the British television. I'm with you on that. <laughs> it's so weird you said that because no one else does. Um, so next one is sweat. Um, well, I'm going to go straight to a Carl, Carl Hyacin, the Carl Hyacin series, because he writes books exclu- exclusively set, set in Florida. 
Usually, yeah. usually about environmental crimes in the Everglades. Um, That's called the sweat box in my mind because of the heat. It, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've been to Florida just as a tourist. Went to um, Orlando, and it was um, I got a rash up just because we're walking out, and the the um, we saw like a, the, like the doctor at the park yeah. said you need to get off your feet for three days. You've basically got you've burnt your feet because all our pavements are white, and the heat's reflecting up and burning your. Pasty, yeah, that's white true. Ankles. Just, just yeah. Stop being an idiot. Um, so I yeah, bleached. Nicole, Nicole yeah. Hires books because he he portrays um, Florida so well, and it just it is it, yeah. it just sounds like a sweat box and all the bugs and the and the creepy crawlies. Now I like I like reptiles. I, I used to be a professional snake breeder. Um, oh, so cool! Scared of snakes and, and and all the critters and and, and things, but um, if they sweat, yeah, I, I, I worry about all the things that's trying to kill me that lives there. <laughs> I think would be my. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I spent six months in Belize when I was in the army in Central America, yeah. and that's the hottest, most humid place I've ever been in my life. And you were constantly like slapping yourself on the head because something had landed on you, was trying to bore into your bite ears you or eat you. Yeah, it, it was yeah. just with yeah. it. You're a braver man than me, that's for sure. So cheering, um, like crowd cheering. Um, I'll, I'll probably go for one of the Myron Bolitaire books written by oh, Holland Tobin okay. because obviously he's a sports agent, Myron Bolitaire, um, yeah. and he deals with um, sports stars. So um, yeah. one, one of the books where he's doing with a tennis star or something like that, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm a big Holland Tobin fan. I've read all the standalones. I haven't read all the Myron Bolitaire um, books, but I, I will. I'll, I'll get around. I've got them all. It's just... Like I say, finding space in your reading schedule. Yeah, I know that feeling. And I think that ties in with the booing, which is the next word. Um, usually every time I walk into the pub. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't believe that for a second. Nah, I don't believe it either. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, well, I lie for a living, don't I? But we'll both do. Um, yeah. Booing. I get booed normally because the boys come in and they see me in the backstage area and they go, oh, it's Crystal because <laughs> they know like there's not a guy there that can out talk me so well, I yeah, I'm, I watching, um, I'm watching Rocky at the minute because I, I can't, one of the channels on Sky has shown all the Rocky films so I just happened to, I thought I haven't seen Rocky for ages so I taped it and it's put them all it must have been a series yeah. link so I've got I'm watching Rocky, Rocky 2 is on the planet I'm sure Rocky 3 is going to be recorded then on yeah. Rocky 4 which I think is the one set in Russia Yep. There's a lot of booing in that because um, the the crowd, the pro-Russia, anti-America crowd is booing Rocky. Then he wins them yep. round by um, yeah. being Rocky. So that's I'll a good one. Go for that. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so the next one is stomping feet. Um, I always think of somebody getting jumped when I think of that, though. I yeah I I, you know, I can't remember the the, um, the Warriors, um, not the film. The book, yeah, I saw yeah. what's he called. Um, forgot. See, I, I remember writer. titles of books. I don't remember authors' names. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, so he's, he's, got, he's got a he's got a complex surname. I think begins with Y. Um, All right. Now, now, now the film is bas- is basically just a gang warfare film, but the the book is a lot more subtle and nuanced. Yeah. Really about um, uh, a lost lost youth, basically youth who, who were just formed between the systems. So they're a lot younger in the book. They're all like 14, 15 years old. But they do a lot of stomping around and, and assaults, and they get stomped on themselves yeah. and things. So, yeah. What about heartbeats? Um, 
you know, I'm I just, didn't say the game would be easy. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say uh, the botanist. My my yeah. own. Book. Well, there you go. Because we're designing a load of merch at the minute, and one for the botanist, we're having somebody in the bed with a hop with one of those monitors, and it's flatlining. Um, oh, I like that. He's, he's, a, he's a poisoner, but he, he gives his um, victims weeks and weeks of warning. Said you're going to be next, and whatever, whatever, oh. whatever um, precautions they take, he, he, he manages to kill them. Um, yeah, no, I like so, that. That's, that's because really good I, one. I, I took scientific advice. Um, ah, and, so you challenged um, it. Yeah, the, the there's not really any poison in the world that you go like that. Yeah, um, no, it's not. You can take some poisons that are irreversible and that will kill you, but they're not going to kill you immediately. So most yeah. of my characters die in hospital rather than just like uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. So I'm mental note: not to read this one while in hospital would be a good idea. <laughs> well, um, well he, he's killing um, sort of unpleasant celebrities. So basically, just don't be an arsehole and you'll be fine. And don't be a celebrity. Yeah, that's, that sounds like good idea. <laughs> good idea. Uh, clapping hands. Um. That's the same as cheering, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I always think of wrestling in that one because I, you know, I actually uh, thought of my series for that because there's a lot of like people getting clapped on the back, and it's a very just. Dis- if you get clapped on the back in wrestling, it's kind of an insult. It's like you know, it's like somebody saying, "Oh, bless your soul," or mm. "A blesser." You know, it's is that way of saying you're an idiot, but without saying you're an idiot. So I always think of that um when I do it and I actually did it in the novel where you know Harold comes down the stairs and he kind of knows that his brother's bonk and his wife and he pats him on the back as he walks by as if to say I know you you know he's kind of calling Mm. him on it in a way so I that's where I got that from um I'm a bit I'm a bit mean to my to my villain in that regard. Well clapping you you can also do uh, clapping sarcastically as well, can't you? So I mean it's yeah. um, it fits any number of um characters. The slow hand clap, yeah, yeah well done. Well done. Yeah. Um, I think that's a British thing as weapon, well. Actually, the, the the one in Lethal Weapon where they, there's a bomb at the start, um it's not the first one, it might be the third film. And yeah. they're trying they're trying to fuse it and they blow up the building and they come out with the bomb squad they're like, Well, well done, yeah. Well done. Yeah, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it was really <laughs> like three because that's why they end up back on the street in uniform. Yeah. Yeah. What about yelling? Um I suppose that could tie into anything, but it could, yeah. I'm I'm reading um well, I think it's called the blade. It's the blade itself, or something like it's. It's one of the Irvin Welsh ones. Um, it's the one where Begbie is. Um, he's an artist in LA. Um, yeah. No, he he's one of the most violent, angry characters probably ever written in fiction. Um, yeah. But he, he's sort of he's a bit of an antihero, really. Even though he does these horrifically violent things, but he spends a lot of time yelling. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll, well go. That's in. a good one. Yeah, it's a good yeah. tie-in. So I like that. The final one is boxing ring. Um, I'm going to go so for this... a Guns N' Roses song called "Get in the Ring." Um, 
I like that. That's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, getting the ring, yeah. motherfucker. Um, which is basically <laughs> about. Um, it, it's a it's a song about anger, isn't it? It's a song about um, yeah them kicking the back about the people who have said things to them on their rise to being the biggest band on the planet, which they were at the time when they recorded it. Um, I, th- I think they got a lot of thing, yeah. stick. Well, you yeah. said that, but look at us now, that type of thing. Um, I mean, I, I've seen that in wrestling. Like, um, you know, they ended up taking on Guns N' Roses songs, Metallica mm. songs. Uh, you know, you look at Motorhead. Motorhead did a, a custom song for Triple H. And he actually spent a lot of time with Triple H. And that's something that's not really known about. So when he passed, Triple H went to his funeral and he did a he did a talk and he, you know, talked about the times with him and mm. and how much it really helped the, the wrestling industry. But again, it was like a hand in glove thing because the wrestling fans then attached to the music and then it gave them new fans. So I think it was you know, I I like that because song has a really important, I would say, importance to us as writers as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, when I'm writing a certain series, I have a certain playlist that I'll listen to. Uh, if I'm writing like crime, I have very dark music playing to keep me in that kind of frame of mind, so I'm not easily distracted. Um, so yeah, I, I will play like a lot of Guns N' Roses and Motorhead. My husband actually loves Motorhead and Metallica and stuff like that. So mm. I kind of steal his playlist um, for that, and it works for me. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I've been to see Motorhead loads of times. It was a very sad day when Lemmy died, um, and I've seen Guns N' Roses loads of times and Metallica a few times, not as many times. Um, but um, yeah, I, I have to have music on when I'm writing. I can't have it on very loud unless if I'm editing, I can. I can have it on a bit louder, but I can't just write in silence. Yeah. Um, no, I can't yeah. write in silence. I fall asleep. See if there's not music. I <laughs> I totally fall asleep. I'm awful. But yeah, no, I get that. But it's been great having you on the Book and Life podcast. I hope that this has been fun for you. I hope you've enjoyed this. Thank you. And, you know, I'd love to have you back the next time you release your next one. And we can talk a bit more about that. And, you know, I will give you a spotlight. Um, It happens once a month where I will spotlight books and record books about, you know, what I've not record books, but record podcasts about what I'm reviewing and what I'm reading. Um, And it's a good way to kind of just get you in the mix with some other authors that you know you might not necessarily be attached to and it's a good rub for everybody so yeah um we'll have to have you back so you'll need to keep in touch thank you very much let's do it no problem it's been a pleasure